This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. Our guest today is Kate, Jul- Kate Julia. Kate, ready to be great today? I'm great. Yes. So, Kate. <laughs> Um, what do you do for fun? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Sort of softball question. Start <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was ready for the, for the direct ones for fun. I like to enjoy learning about others. Okay. And I love to read. I love romance novels. So how do you learn about other people? You just observe them. You do a full research project on them. Yeah, I'll read autobiographies, um, ask friends a bunch of questions. I love just being near people. When I was younger, I remember I was the type of person that would hang out at the mall and just watch. People observe. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. The interactions, the first dates, the, you know, the 10-year dates, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love love. And so being able to see that through people's eyes okay. and their stories. So next, um, you used to do this open water, um, water diver stuff. Oh, open water dive. Yes. So I have done it a total of once. Um, well, like four, four or five days. I did it when I learned a couple of years ago, I went to Malta, the country, and I learned how to open dive. I got my certification so I can go out here. Um, but does that ever expire? The it, certification? It, um, it, it does and it doesn't, it's really good. Like when you are learning of, you know, if you haven't gone in a while, just go and do a class or make sure you have, you always have a buddy with you anyways. And then a couple of years later, if it has been a while and you haven't remembered everything, you know, you need to know the hand signals. It's your life and it's others people's lives at stake. And so if you don't feel prepared, you need to be able to be prepared. So what's the time period to do this? Like it's like month training, two month training, just one day. Yeah, I was in Malta. So it was four day training plus online stuff. So it takes about a week total to learn everything. Um, and what's the deepest you've been? The deepest I've been. I think we can go 30, 30 meters. Um, so I think we did like 30, 35. Um, I know we went five more than what we were. Supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you haven't done it since then? Um, no, I haven't because. But why not? I, I got pregnant just uh-huh. a month after okay. I learned. And then, so yeah, now is about the time that I should go back out. I've been, you know, I, I nurse my daughter. And so I don't like to be away from her for a certain amount yeah. of time. And so it is, you know, it can be a half day or a full day event. Okay. And so when, um, when she's at that level where I can be gone <laughs> for a while yeah. um, and head I out. I guess it was pretty out. fun to do. It was absolutely, it, it's amazing, right? I mean, for, for people who have gone through trauma and to be able to experience, um, there's nothing else around you. There's your past doesn't matter. Your future doesn't matter. You have to live in the present because if you don't, it could be pretty dangerous, I'm guessing. Exactly. Um, and so just having that experience of, you know, we're, we're humans on a ball of water. 
Uh, yeah, people don't realize that that you know, especially like people like like live on like you know middle of America, like no water around. Like Earth's like what mostly water. People don't realize that. Yeah, and we're made out of ninety seven percent of water. So we're these humans made out of water on a ball of water, except we don't have gills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the experience that we can actually be in the water um, is phenomenal. It makes you kind of want like you know have all these evolution theories. Like, did we actually come from water? Right? Did like millions of years ago some small Animal of a gills that come in the water and that of the user of a user evolution means that you have no gills no more. Well, and it makes me wonder if we were punished by the gods at once because you know we had this entire experience and then they took it away from mm-hmm. us because we were too arrogant or ignorant. Yeah. You know, um, it does make you wonder, right? Like between like the scientific, the, the science fiction, and the <laughs> all the you know conspiracy theories, all there. Yeah. Um, so um, do you still have your, all, your, all your equipment or you, had a, you rent it from that Malta place? I rented it. So you have to buy, you have to buy new equipment, I'm guessing? Well, you always need new air. Um, and then, yeah, though you just need a really good wetsuit, mm-hmm. but pretty good wetsuits uh, come at a big cost. I thought I when I imagine. was, yeah. yeah, I thought when I was pregnant, I'm like, I'm just going to cut a hole out uh-huh. and then attach another, <laughs> you know, and as the belly grew. Um, but it, yeah, so it was good. So I'll have to, I'll have to go out. Um, and get some more. I'm, I'm excited. I have a five-year-old and when she turns 10, I am going to take her. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's the whole reason actually I went. Did you see any like, like crazy looking creatures or sea animals when you went deep, deep sea fish, deep sea diving? So I, so you get to see animals that are a completely different color, right? Freshwater versus sea. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been, so I did see there was a barracuda um, and then this little shark I've seen, seen okay. those. So that was, that was pretty chill. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, what freaked me out the most were their bubbles going up. What? <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, um, and so this little volcano and it just bubbles are shooting out of, you know, like they're just going up. And so it's, you're in the water and there's just bubble. It's forming. Um, and so we all just stood there and y'all, we'd take a cheesy mm-hmm. photo by it, but that for some reason, just, you know, I could see all the different color fish. Mm-hmm. I can see a barracuda, but seeing bubbles yeah. come out of something in the middle of like the water. Yeah. Yeah. That You're like, what is this? totally fascinated me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know they, it seems like they say every, like almost every day they, they just discover a new, you know, animal in the sea they've never seen before. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been more than 80. I mean, well, we can see that, see that study, but we know more about space. It seems like than we even yeah, do. Yeah. I think water, you discover maybe like 10% of it or something, some world low number, you know? Yeah. That's why I love the Meg movies because if we go <laughs> in the deep sea trenches, I'm like, what do we do? <laughs> like, I mean, go. Atlantis could very well be down there somewhere, right? Yeah. And why would they want to touch us? And like, they'd be dumb to come with us. Yeah. And I could see why, you know, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, I mean. You know what? Here's something crazy. Maybe the hurricanes are like the Atlantis attacking us and we don't even know, right? Oh, oh my, completely, right? Why? I mean, if we actually learned how to respect the water, what what it would do back for us, you know, how would yeah. it treat us and how were the animals treat us? Um, and, and it's crazy if we could actually all do that and see. Yeah, good look over there. Don't hold your breath on that one, huh? <laughs> um, so deep deep sea diving, you want to start doing it again. Where would you go to? I mean, like, like you go deep diving, deep, deep 
deep deep diving today. Is that any bucket list place you want to go to? Guadalupe. Guadalupe, okay. Sharks. Sharks. The home of the sharks. Okay, you want to go there? I love sharks. <laughs> I do. So I would swim with some sharks as so much as I could. The, what's that thing that comes on that? Do you think it's called Shark Week? That comes shark on? Week. Oh, yeah. 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 You, you glue the TV then? Yeah, all of, yeah. Most of. Calendar gets blocked off. <laughs> no one gets done. Kid don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, it gets to the point that my daughter will run up to people with shark shirts mm -hmm. and make sure that she's like, mom, shark, shark. Because <laughs> she's so excited to tell me that there's a shark. <laughs> any Any favorite kind of shark? I love hammerhead sharks. Okay. So I used to have a company named Hammerhead um, and they can reproduce without males. So it's pretty, oh, pretty man. cool shark. Um, and I love basking sharks okay. um, because all they're doing is suntanning, yeah. you know? Um, and I, yeah. And do sharks only live in warm water or they're like all across the world in any kind of water, so to speak? They like warmer, but they're actually discovering um, the more deep, in the south are mm. like um deep in the water yeah. right they're they're discovering more i don't, I don't they like kind of birth they have like migration patterns they they migrate to different places each year well it's interesting we actually don't know that much about sharks and so i think in 2000 2018 is when we discovered even a similar migration path as mm. to where they are birthing okay. and why they're going places but even as we track them, you know, they'll have some that they hang out in the Guadalupe and it's more of like their vacation spot, yeah. you know, and then they'll go up to California or they go up um, to Mexico and, yeah. but it's not the same every single year and they're not doing it together. I'm, I'm probably making this up. I remember a, a couple of years ago where there was a shark spot off the coast of Maine and people are freaked out, like, like there's never been a shark here before and this white, this big great white shark show, show up at the coast of Maine. Yeah, and I think there's more and more sharks that are going towards the northeast of America or like Nova Scotia. And, you know, partly maybe because, you know, they're going to attack us. So they're mm -hmm. going to go through all the other ways. Yeah, um, there's, there's a, you know, easier target up in the main. Yeah, well, they're also saying it's because our waters are warmer. Yeah. And so they're just kind of moving. They're going with the water. So next, talk about being yoga instructor certified. Yes. Um, I... I was certified when I was in college. I have been doing yoga since before middle school. It was my, it was the only thing I couldn't feel like I could be perfect at because the lesson in yoga is that you need to be perfect at being imperfect um, or comfortable with the uncomfortable. And for me, I'm like, I need this in my life. And then my love of people. So why not teach others? And so can you talk about how hard yoga actually is? A lot of people, you know, think, you know, oh, yo, you're just taking a stance. You're not really doing nothing. Can you talk about how the, the difficulty level of yoga? Yeah. It, well, and I think it's the essence of yoga, right? Is you can make yoga as simple or as difficult as you can make it, right? But think about savasana, right? We lay down every single night before we go to bed. But how many of us cannot even do that correctly and are staying up and three hours later, we're- Your mind's racing, things pop in your mind. I think it's called monkey brain, I think, where <laughs> your mind never starts off or what you try to do. Yeah, exactly. And so if you get to the point where you're, you know, you're practicing daily and say four years later, right? You're still 
you know, you can be doing the same sun salutations that you've been doing for 10 years and your brain hits a block and then it's, that can be more difficult. Um, you know, there's the different types of yoga, vinyasana, where it's more sport yoga. You're getting there, hot yoga, you know, you're, you're working to get a sweat, right? But where yoga came from, um, which is what I really appreciate it, is you're trying to hit, you know, let's say you're trying to hit nirvana, right? Well, uh, with yoga, you can't just sit there, right? And so they started forming these different poses to be able to open different spots in your body. So if your heart is closed or if you're holding a lot of pain in your shoulder, if you release that, then you would be able to like bring that thought and then um, let it go, right? Um, but it's harder to reach if you can't, you can't get it, right? It's like even when you're doing a massage, release it and then it lets go. And so that's, that's what's difficult about yoga for people. I mean, everyone can do it, but how difficult is it for people just to shut off their brain? Yeah. So what are the benefits of doing yoga, either short-term or long-term? Um, so they've been having a lot of studies. There was a guy, he, um, he was a parachute, parachuter um, jumper in, in the army. He, he, he um, skydived over 300 times. Well, after he got out, his, his spine was condensed. Um, very difficult to walk. He like either had to have a cane, but most of the time he was just in the wheelchair. So he came out and said, I have done yoga and now I can walk, right? You hear about those stories. Um, but there's also just simple stories of, you know, you're, you can lay on the ground here and you put, put your legs up and that will release the blood to your brain, right? I mean, it's super simple. Well, that can help heart disease because you're getting more blood to your heart. It can heart, uh, help depression because, you know, you're getting blood to your brain. It can help varicose veins because, again, you're getting blood through your entire body. So you're just moving it around in, um, in, in ways that you typically wouldn't, especially in our day and age for sitting on a laptop. So, so random fact, people don't know this, though. People who are in the Army, like, do the, they're called paratroopers. Yeah. They, they lose an average of an inch of the Army career because of jumping, right? Some lose as many, lose as many one to two inches off their height. Oh, wow. A lot of people don't realize it, yeah. And then it's just condensing, yeah. right? So, yeah. how, um, am, I can ask, right? Yeah, yeah. So, how do, wait, like, does, does the Army, does the military have something set for them? And practices not as they're really. getting out Beyond of that? You know, nothing like, you know, like there's not, not mandatory yoga. It's more like, you know, suck it up, go jump again, right? You know, just, of course, from there jumping, most of the things skydive, just jump, you know, in the army, you have like maybe a hundred pounds of gear on your back, you know, your weapon. And so it makes it even worse, you know? And then of course, if you're like, you know, say you're like 5'10", 200 pounds, and somebody else is like, well, 5'8", 135, the big guy's gonna like, it's really do worse. So he's gonna like, you know, yeah. fall faster, you know? So do they choose specific smaller humans? Not really. It's just, there's really no primary reason to, you know, I mean, there's no, yeah. I mean, females do it, males do it, all sizes, all everything, you know. But the thing is, no matter what, you could be like a five foot, 90 pound female or six foot two, 240 guy, the, the what you carry is still the same amount, right? Yeah. So it's like, doesn't matter. You, know, you still have to carry the same gear. Okay. Which is like. No, I would say maybe not in fear of the five foot person, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. On their body. That's, it's interesting. 
Um, but even in America, we don't think of that as a holistic point of view of mm-hmm. even you give birth and they're like, <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so yoga, it was very, I know different kinds of yoga, right? There's hot yoga. I think there's something called goat yoga. I think, you know, <laughs> do people, what is, what is that? Like you like, you do, you do, you do yoga with a goat or the goats on your back or something like, is that even a, a thing? Or was this like something made up on the cartoon? Um, yeah, I think it was one of those scenarios you know you can correct me if i'm wrong here um but it's a money maker mm-hmm. you know okay. let's do some yoga with some goats um i mean in nepal you know they have their their goats hanging out on the mountains so maybe it's a little intertwined but there's also you know there's dog yoga mm-hmm. cat yoga yeah you know <laughs> so do you, t- do you still teach yoga so I do not officially teach yoga. Um, I am specialized with prenatal and postnatal, but, and I love my, my pregnant mamas um, and teaching them, but I've learned more to practice it at home. Um, and then that's helping me then create, create for way. But anyone not do yoga? I was like, is there any like characteristics or like health conditions where they, that person should not do yoga? I'm not a doctor, but I think everyone in the world. Sorry. Um, how does someone get like started in yoga? Is it something you have to do or you have to take a health test or you just join a yoga thing? I, I mean, we could do yoga okay. right now in our chair. Put your legs up. Okay. Yeah. And then um, you can just put, I'm, I'm going to have you do yoga real quick. Okay. Okay. Right. So your. Okay, so you'll have your left knee, you can bend it in, okay. and then you can put it on top of your right knee. Um, so your left ankle will be on top of your right knee. Okay. And if you fit, there's kind of a little slot there. Uh-huh. Um, it's like your body's made to yeah. be able to form there. Okay. And then you'll just, so you'll just swing your right ankle underneath your left knee. Okay. Okay. So left over right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's it. There you go. You're doing yoga. Okay. And you can do one knee. Okay. Uh, well, so while you're watching TV, while you're on your laptop, um, and then Savasana, everyone lays down. Okay. Is there such a thing as like a yoga national championships or anything like that? Or <laughs> I, like I don't some kind of yoga competition. You know, I don't know. Um, and I think it would be interesting about the yoga competition is, you know, so many people can move their bodies in so many different directions and ways. But how do we compete to say, hey, you've gone through a lot of trauma, right? Like, how do we truly get that competition of like, this person has gone through a lot, but can you meditate through it? Right. Um, I think then if we did that, we would kind of be getting into the yoga thing. Yeah, we'd almost be getting into what with the Stanford studies. Remember those, like the nineteen seventies, and they like tortured the kids. On I remember per- that. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I think like, truly to get the essence of a <laughs> yoga competition, we would be bringing out unethical. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy um, experiment. Mm-hmm. Like the things people did in the seventies, eighties. You're like, what? What were we doing? Yeah, where you know you're just taking LSD, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you still speak Portuguese? Portuguese, how you say it? Oh, Portuguese. No, but I have a tattoo. Do you? 
I do. So I used to speak Portuguese and Spanish and a little bit of French. Um, and then I had babies and I used to play the ukulele. Um, so those are my things that you still play that. No, nope. then yeah. I had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Babies can be time consuming. No doubt about that. So you pick and choose, um, what you like to do and what we are going to start learning is that, um, now all of us five and my youngest, um, she's one. We're going to start learning Sanskrit in the house. Okay. Um, and we you get two girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll be learning. Um, yeah. So we'll be studying Sanskrit and, you know, doing that towards our meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Figure that would be kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then maybe one day I'll live in Brazil for a little <laughs> bit and get, get my language back. Um, how, so how did you learn that language? An ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, this, I was in college and this beautiful Brazilian, of course I'm going to learn the <laughs> language. <laughs> like, yes. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to speak to his mom. Uh-huh. Get on. You know, That's a good reason. Yeah. Get on the good side. And are you still involved with Girl Scouts? Oh, wow. Wow. No. Yeah. No. Back in college days. Yeah, yeah. That was, I was part of a sorority, mm-hmm. actually. And we, we volunteered a lot with the Girl Scouts. Now, I've been thinking about getting my girl in the brownies. Mm-hmm. And so I think we'll be, be in the brownies. But yeah, again, you, you figure out what's important in your life and the timing that you're going with yeah. it. One thing about you, like you sound like you've done all the experimentation with a whole different lot of stuff, right? Most people, they, mm-hmm. they do one thing the whole life, you know, where, like they do one thing, like you experiment, so to speak, like you discover what you want to do. I think it's great. Yes. My motto is you never know until you try. And so if you don't like something, or at least, you know, if you do like something, and if you don't have the time for it and what is your priority at that moment in time, you can always go back to it later. And at least you have the knowledge of doing that, right? Like, even you never go deep sea diving again. Right. You have the knowledge experience, you know, if you had that, that experience, right? Like no one can take away from you that, that day you spent deep diving in, in Malta, right? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That, that whole week was, um, it, it, that whole week rewired parts of my brain that I needed. So what's something on your bucket list you want to do but haven't done yet? Like, I don't know, like run a marathon, travel like 20,000 countries. Like what's something out there comparable deep sea diving that you want to do? So I've ran a marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course you have. <laughs> yeah, of course you have. Of course. Um, it was the international Detroit um, to Canada. Mm-hmm. And so it was over the bridge and through the that tunnel. One, yeah. mm-hmm. So I've done that. Um, I of course would love to travel to every single country. That's no doubt in my mind. Um, I would like to sail around. I think once, once the girls are older, that's almost like my retirement plan. Um, I, one thing that I have on my bucket list is I want to live in France and learn. I want to go to pastry school. Okay. And I want to just do it for me. So just down the block, it's a place, I can't remember the name of it, that it's actually a pastry school. It's a nonprofit pastry school, right? Two, two minutes from here. I'll take you there once you get over so you can check it out. Okay. And they teach like people how to cook pastries. Real, oh my goodness yeah. gracious. So I, I love mm. desserts. Mm. Like, I mean, I can eat a dessert. I mean, if, if you see me crabby, <laughs> just hand me a macaron, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> um, so I think that would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I would love to go check it out. 
And then in college, you learned 14 programming languages? I did. I like, how's that even possible? Like, did you like not sleep at all? Or do you like blow off your classes? Like 14 programming languages? And, and you said, and you had like five you're really good at? Yeah. So I ended up um, falling in love. I didn't know that programming, like I knew it was a thing, but I, I had my five, 10 year plan. Right. And I took a class um, and it was just to learn HTML and CSS and Java, like super simple. Right. And I caught it on like nothing. I mean, it, it was the first time. And, and I've, I've had different classes that I really loved, like anthropology, critical thinking um, were phenomenal classes. Right. My major was accounting at the time, still ended up getting it. I would never imagine a thousand years that you you you, you studied accounting. Like that is so unlike you from what I've seen so far, right? Like using accounting, no, that's like a no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I ended up getting um, when I graduated. I um, worked at Deloitte, so the largest accounting in the f- firm in the world. Um, but I, you know, I did it, um, and we we can actually. I'll, so I'll tell you that real quick. My I made a business plan. When I was in fourth grade and I still have it. it has six cards, like a five by six cards, right? It's my business plan. It was a spa community center in New York city. I showed it to my mom. And this also explains probably how I grew up and me as a whole. My mom said, this is beautiful. This is a great plan, but why don't you study accounting? So you don't get screwed over financially. <laughs> and so um, I studied accounting and then I got a job at the largest accounting firm in the world. So it's a little bit how I work. So do you still do coding on the side or keep up with it in the past? No. So I, I love coding. Um, I, I'm doing the coding for my current company right now. Uh, I've created a couple apps for my daughter. Didn't push them out, um, but they were kind of her secret thing. I should have pushed them out before COVID because... I'd be like sitting a little bit higher with my cash right now. Um, but yeah, no, um, it, it's my, I don't know if I could imagine having a per se, a boss with coding yeah. and being like, you need to do this. And, and I did that for a year, but I love just creating and figuring out how I can create it. So what languages do you use now? Yeah. So this obviously HTML, CSS, Java, JavaScript, um, C sharp, Python. I do like the flutter of like flutter, uh, forgetting the what's next with the package with it, but yeah, so it's flutter language. Um, so those are mainly what I'm using when I do things. And how do you keep it up to date with, all, with everything? I know it seems like those things change like almost daily with new updates and stuff. Yeah, but you can always create what you want, right? I mean, what's the one thing? There's someone out there who can always probably do it faster, better, you know, than you, but they're still creating what you're creating. And so I, you can always keep up to date, but there's a lot of code that's not ever going to stop. That's not ever going to change. Yeah. So it's just depending on what you are building. Now, the processing and the different algorithms that are coming out, you can always add a package that just was released. So how often do you spend coding each week on an average, on an estimate? Mm. Well, uh, maybe 10, 10 to 15 hours. Okay. Um, just and you go like code 
fifteen dollars at one time, but keeping the zone, or you like you rake it up? Oh lordy, okay. If the girls weren't around, <laughs> hands down, I'd I'm the fifteen hour at once coder. Uh, with the girls around, it's more so when they go to bed, and I I code for a little bit and creating what I want to create. So your girls are five and one year old. You said right. Mm-hmm. So are you gonna like how to put this like? Are you gonna like you know try to overtly influence them to do certain things? Are you just not? Are you gonna like open up all possibilities and then pick what they want to do by themselves? The only thing that I am wanting them to do is have the presence of a healer whenever they are around anybody. Um, I want them to be genuinely nice and empathetic. Um, If anything else they do, I want them to enjoy life. I, I was always told you needed, I needed to be the best or I needed to have stability. And I think for my girls, I, you know, I really want them to be happy. Well, what if they're happy? What do they say they're happy? And you're like, okay, how can you be happy doing this? Right. Like, suppose they say I'm happy. Like, you know, I don't know, working McDonald's as a waitress or something like that. Are they hurting anybody? No. Then I'm happy for them. Okay. I'm absolutely happy for them. If they are happy with what they are doing, I. Even yeah. they don't seem like on a, on a successful lifestyle or like, they don't, you know. Mm, no, okay. I've, I do not think success brings happiness. Mm. Um, I think what the inner work does. Now, I definitely think a good amount of package of money yeah. sounds great for everyone in the mm. world. But like, yeah. honestly, is it a package of money that we all need mm. or do we just need to make sure that we have stable housing, clean water and good food yeah. right? and a community? I remember reading somewhere like, you know, like I think $70,000, like the magic number amount, right? If you make 70,000 a year, everything's like happy. And actually, if you make more than 70,000, your happiness actually goes down. I don't think they calculated uh, Seattle because $70,000 yeah. here is definitely I in the poverty line. I think it was a natural, must have been probably natural after or something, you know, I remember the yeah. number 70,000. Yeah, that's like in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> So you have a master's in entrepreneurship from the University of Washington? I do. And when, what year did you get that? Uh, during COVID. COVID so, okay. so it was all on, I mean, online probably? All online, yes. The first trimester we were really hoping, we all were like, yes, we're ready to be in person. And then we eventually got told it was just going to be online. So what can a school teach about being an entrepreneur? Some people say you want to be an entrepreneur. I actually got to go start a business, learn the mistakes. What can a college teach you about being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, it's all I can say what I got out of it, right? Um, I got the confidence. I got the support. I got the strategies. And I think that's what we can get from school. And it's always what you can get out of school, right? I didn't come from an entrepreneurship family. I came from a very stable nine to five. Um, you get the, the degree and you work 30 years and then you retire into a house and, you know, and that's what you do. And so I wasn't surrounded by entrepreneurship people, but academia, I knew. And so I think being part of a school program, um, it, it, yeah, it, it gave me what I needed to do to feel like I could start a company. And I started a company through it and it failed. And do you know how good it feels to start something and then fail it? Like to know that I finally, I mean, since fourth grade, I've wanted to start a company. 
and I started it and failed it. But I still had my dog pack surrounded by me and being like, yes, awesome. Like, let's pivot or start a new something or what do you want to do with your life? Right. And I had the tools to be able to see what I wanted to do. Is is it a one year program or two year program? One year. One year. And like, do most people like, do you, you, I guess you start a company during the course and you go the whole process of starting it and doing that kind of stuff. How does that work? Yeah, I think a lot of people, um, so half people had their ideas and the other half just wanted to work for a startup. So I had like 27 ideas. <laughs> so by the time uh, we graduated, I had to hone in on one. And so that just depends on what you would like to like to do. You can help others or create your own. So what's, what is human-centered design? Is that the same as like UX, UI design or something completely different? No. Um, I love this. I love this example. Human-centered design is we have adult toothbrushes, right? And so then they just came out and they made it smaller and they gave it to kids, right? So just a smaller toothbrush. Kids were not brushing their teeth. They're like, oh, it's because they're kids or, you know, it's like the parents not doing it right. Like, no. So a company came in and tested with kids and realized it was hard for them to grip the toothbrush, right? Because it was just a big one to a smaller one. And they made it um, like a little bit, a little bit bigger on the bottom, a little bit kind of like a snowman, you know, um, for them and they could grip it and kids were brushing longer. So that is human centered design. You know, we're designing, we are asking the humans, okay, what is going to actually make your life not easier? Not saying, hey, this is what you need, take it. And then we're going to fault you if you're not using it. And doesn't Universal Watch have like one of the top human center design programs in the, in the world? Like, or like top notch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even their, their masters of entrepreneurship, they're, um, they go back and forth between one and two with MIT. Okay. So, and same thing with their HCDE school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's phenomenal, phenomenal programs. So you got a, you had a good experience there? Oh my God. Yes. Um, days I wish I was still in the program. <laughs> oh, we all wish we were still in college. <laughs> I go back in time, like dummy, stay in college as long as you can. Don't go in the, don't go, don't go in the real world. Yeah, I get that. So, um, can you talk about your, your role at KPMG? Yeah. Okay. So you're leading the robotic process automation within text, text technology. On the one hand, robotics sounds sexy and innovative. Then text, like, how do you combine those two together? Oh, yeah, I know. Think of my personality. Who would have thought that my main job is text and technology, Never. right? Yeah. Half me still don't believe you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I find great... Mm, talked to a psychic the other day. She said... I'm in on this world. I'm a ball of fire and Aries in every different perspective, right? And one of the things that really upsets me and that gets my ball of fire really big is inefficient processes. I hate that, I hate that shit too, right? <laughs> it is like, you, I mean, like you've done the same way for 10 years. You know, it's not right. Take the effort to improve it. Right. I People mean, we'll say, oh, it's not my job or I don't have the time or blase, blase, all these excuses, like, just take some time to improve it and then your workload will be so much better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Completely. So learn a language, make a friend and say, Hey, how can I make this to this? I mean, you can even log into programs. You can start your computer, log into the programs that you need to log in, 
have the computer do very simple things that you need to have it do. By the time you got your coffee, came back to your desk, and then you can actually start then moving on to the next steps. And we're not doing that as humanity and we're not supporting each other. And so um, yeah, that's what I do. So how did this happen? On here it says that you reduce workflow from 120 hours to 11 seconds. Yes. How is that even possible? Like, what did he do? Okay. Imagine a lot of Excel sheets. And so you have, and this happens all the time. That's not, I've done that for like several handfuls of companies. This is kind of, kind of common. This is everyday work for you. So, super common. Everyone else, some superstar stuff. <laughs> Employer of the year. You're like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> super, super simple. Um, so imagine you have like a thousand, um, a thousand Excel sheets that you have, like, like documents. So you, you have a company. So say, okay, let's do this. You have a parent company. And underneath the parent company, you have a thousand different companies. And so every single month you're getting an Excel sheet from them and you need to pull three different numbers and you need to compare it to last year's number. And then you need to get the FIFRs, the gap, because it's international. So you need to be able to have the different regulations. And then you want to get a couple other numbers to see like how your ROI is doing. Right. So that is what the process is doing. Think about when a human does it. They open the sheet, they find the Excel, and it's always the same Excel, you know, box, right? So you open it, you look at it, and then you look at a different sheet, you look at that number, you look at a different number, and then you put it over here, right? Really all you're doing, but you have to do it a thousand times over. So all you're doing is telling the computer, do these four steps, once you make it happen a second time, you can go from two to a thousand. You're done. The program will do it for you. Easy peasy. <laughs> can you talk about this? Like, it's like Excel, for example, any, any tech Excel, Google worksheets, whatever you want to call it. Like most people only use it maybe one to 2% of what can be actually user, right? So I watched on YouTube the other day, this guy made a, somehow he made like a, some kind of video presentation using just Excel, right? And, and know that. Can you talk about how people that really don't use tech as, as, as they should, all the possibilities out there. Well, I mean, look what just became super popular in the world, right? I mean, you can put, oh, I remember being so nervous to talk to, you know, a future boyfriend or a future significant other. You didn't even know how to text them, right? And now you can say, hey, this is my personality. This is their personality. These are our interactions. Can you give me a step-by-step -step of how I can like ask them to the movies, right? And then what should I text them? I mean, that's pretty cool, right? It is. <laughs> um, so the amount of technology in the world, um, yeah, but it's endless. So with all this advancement in tech, do you think that we're actually getting smarter as a human race or is the tech just advancing so fast we're like basically the same level of smartness since the beginning of time? I don't think tech has anything to do with it. I, I think it's the community aspect that we don't have with humans anymore. Um, and RIQ, I mean, what do we, we only access 4% or something? Like yeah, something 4%, 10%. It's like, yeah. Of our brain. And we don't know, maybe there's a theory as to we are only accessing 5% because we need to excel our technology that much more. And then once our brain can do the basics, 
then we can even access more to our brain, right? I mean, or maybe we, our brain is spent too much time using like you know menial tasks, right? Like example, when I was growing mm-hmm. up, you remember you knew everyone's phone number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like I can remember seven digits to save my life now, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't need to, right? I can do different things, you know. Yeah, and so what if your brain then wasn't using just to remember the seven digit number, but it's using to figure out, okay, I'm going from the moon to like, what's, we discovered a new galaxy the other, you know? Like everyone gets discovered every day. Right. Like. Yeah. So now we're like, okay, we have a map on our head and, you know, this, or like a glowing map. I mean, the world is endless, right? I, I don't think our IQ level goes down with technology um, or even what we're doing, right? I mean, yeah, we can be smarter, but I think humans just need to learn how to also be a village and support each other. And then that way, then the creation of technology wouldn't be the doom to us. So you also mentor like different people. How do you, what's your process for mentoring people and training people? Ooh, I love this. Love this. It depends on what I'm doing or how long I have. Um, but if I'm bringing someone on to uh, my company, I always do a 30, 60, 90. And each um, that 30 date mark or around that mark, depending on where that flow is with them and how they're doing, do I see where they're at? And I've taken people who have a finance strict background. And then within the 90 days, they were my lead sustainability person, right? Because that's what they were passionate about. That's what we talked about more. That's what really got them happy. And so I think just, I love being able to understand people from where they are and teaching them how they need to learn, right? Like never get mad at someone because you're talking to them and then you get mad at them, but because what you need to draw a picture for them, right? Like, uh, so that's, that's why I love mentoring people. So speaking of course, in generalities, how long or how small, small time does it take you to figure out someone's going to be a superstar or someone like no matter how much time you spend with them, they're never going to get it. Well, I mean, we can all be superstars, right? I don't know. Some people. Yeah. Some people I don't know. Oh, I love the, what Einstein's quote. Um, if you teach a, a fish to swim, he's never going to be able to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think everyone has a piece to the puzzle, but where do we fit them? And it depends on how long they want it, but someone could have such a natural ability, but that only gets you so far right? You have to have someone who wants it. And if you have someone that wants it, that's how you can get to stardom, right? Um, You give them that intrinsic and that extrinsic value. If they're getting that and they want it, stardom is born. But if they're not wanting it, you can't do anything with them. So I watched this video today and like this guy was talking about this basketball player named Vince Carter, right? You're talking about how upset he was with Vince Carter because he didn't live with the potential. He had all the skills. He was more skilled than Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Just naturally tackled everything well. He just didn't want it like other people did. He didn't have that want to, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they had a 20 year career, made a lot of money, but everyone like, man, who just, if you just sort of had that half the want that Kobe Bryant did, he would be like the number one player of all time, but he didn't want it. Oh, I could see that with so many people in the world. And the reason as to why they don't want it or why people choose the path that they do, I mean, you think it's just simple wiring, how we are, or like background, or like being pushed by parents? Why, why, like, why do some people like have it, so to speak? Other people don't. I think it's the support that they have around us. 
and what they're told is the value of life that we have. Um, you know, um, actually, I have a brother, and this is something that a lot of people don't know. And my my brother passed away a little bit ago, and he was a phenomenal soccer player, one of the best in the world. But through different circumstances, he thought that money was the best thing that you needed to get in the world, right? And it took him down a bad path. And so when you have different people who have just raw talents and someone who's supporting them gives them an idea like, oh yeah, you're going to be this professional soccer player. You're going to have a lot of money and you're going to have a lot of girls, right? Like their extrinsic and their intrinsic value changes, right? And like really why are they doing it? What are they trying to prove to themselves and to others and what makes them whole? Um, So I think it can be different a different approach for, for each person. And was it the egg or the chicken for him? I don't know. Yeah. You never know what, motiv- what motivates people. Like I, I remember in, I'm in junior high school in the seventh grade, we had a guy in, in the seventh grade. He could run like a hundred yard dash, like 10.2, 10.3, right? He would, he would, he could against high schoolers. By the time he was 20, he was in prison, like 20 years for burglary and robbery stuff. Right. Yeah. Just if he was around and yeah. yet, all the time in the world. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Fast money quick. Right. I mean, that, that's what happens. And so, and then you get two people born out of the same circumstance and I was phenomenal. Yeah. And how about this? Like I've talked about this before, like you could have like a, how you would think like you would have, like so you had like four kids in a family, right? But they all turn out differently. One might be a successful, one might go to prison. Like even though they're raised the same way, same parenting styles, four kids, they can turn out so many different ways. I've always, I've always been amazed at that. Well, yeah, it's the same. It's, um, I read something a little while ago. It's two guys and one never drank alcohol in his entire life. And they said, well, why didn't you drink alcohol? He's like, well, because my dad's an alcoholic. And the other guy, he became an alcoholic. And they said, why are you an alcoholic? He said, because my dad is an alcoholic. Remember that story, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, who, yeah, we have no idea, right? But I think it is willpower. I think it's mind over matter of saying, this is the person I want to become and what are the daily actions that I'm going to put force forth to see the life that I really want to live. And do you still, is Kate logic still a company or that? Yeah. So that's, that's essentially my overall, my patents sitting there. Okay. Um, more of an IP, IP holder. And I get to have my creativity. Um, so my contracts and everything. So what does that do? What, what, what is Kate logic? Yeah. So it's, it's just more of my holder of my contract. So when I'm talking or am I creating an idea or testing out something, I like, if I have a bunch of models, then I can write the contract with my Kate logic company. And then if it's something that spuns out, um, then I am able to then just create that company wholly. It's more of like a holding company, so to speak. Or yeah. Like- it's a holding company Okay, for my thoughts, my creative okay. ideas, um, and protection. So that's how you protect all your stuff. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, that's my, that's, that's my love. That's my enjoyment. That's, um, everyone always said it's Kate logic when I was growing up. So that's why it's <laughs> called that. Um, cause I always thought differently. So how long did it take to do 1200 customer discovery reviews? <sighs> how long? Is like a, over a, a, you're like a two, three, four year process. You'd like cram a wall in like 12 days. 
No, no, I think I did it with like three months. Three months, okay. Yeah, um, you get like a bunch of people together and fill out the sheet. And well, then, they, well, the customer was all, they saw a certain product you were doing, like it was like different things. I had three different projects I was okay. doing. Yeah, okay. um, so I sent out a couple. I love it when I send out my Google forms to people and ask them questions and they're like, talk about an MVP. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, um, two of them were Google forms. Um, rest were just, you know, like 60 people and we talked. Why do you think so many startup founders skip customer discovery? So many people like, I'm going to build a product, the world's going to buy it. And then no one does, right? Because they don't do customer discovery. Or you think so many people like skip that start? Because is it hard to do? Is it like too easy to do? Like, what do you think? My first thought, maybe they have a little bit of narcissism in them. You know? That's probably like 95% <laughs> accurate. Yeah. That's probably right. Yeah. Um, they're like, this is what I know would work for me. So it's going to work for everyone else. Right. Um, the other thing, I think that's what's phenomenal about my program that I learned. They've really honed in on customer discovery and they're like, okay. Sounds like a great idea, but who's actually going to buy it? Um, and so that, I think that's pretty good. So what's your process of doing customer discovery? Like how, like, how do you like research? How do you know what, what person to pick? Like, what's the whole process for you? Like, how do you know how long can it be? How many questions? Yeah. Like in Zoom, in person, is it better? All that kind of stuff. I first draw my ideal customer. I go through the day. I go through the through the year, you know, their emotions, what do they wear? When do they wake up? Um, and those emotions. And I try to then find people that hit um, several of those aspects, right? So if they're parents or if they're kids, depending on who they are, but I draw them, I want to visualize them. And then from there, I see who I know that's like that. And then I just send them a couple text messages like, hey, how's this idea? Or, does this happen for you? And then from there, um, I will get my prototype ready and then push that out to um, at least 100 people. Is there like an uh, optimal time limit to talk to someone? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I, you know, I probably should know that because I'm the type of person that just talks and could just hang out. You know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. We would say it's the Midwest goodbye. You say <laughs> goodbye. And then like 15 days later, we've shown you our scrapbooks and all of, you know, like, um, yeah. So is it the time limit? I think people in Seattle, a little smaller. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so when you do discovery interviews, how do you influence people to actually do it with you? Cause like, people are busy doing stuff. Like, see, you just send to, like you send out two texts, do you just stop after that to get no reply? Like, how do you influence people like spend like 20, 30 minutes with you doing this? Um, yeah. So I've gotten messages from people and saying, this is a really long questionnaire. I'm only filling this out because I like you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you for filling it out. I appreciate you. <laughs> so I've gotten that answer, but a lot of it's incentivization. So I've had people with me for three days straight and we're just going back and forth with testing different products and seeing how they feel about it. Um, and everything at, at that aspect. And from the end of it, they got all of the product that they got to touch and feel and they felt like they were heard, right? People want to be asked questions. So if you ask them a thousand questions, they feel like they're important and then they get to brag about it by 
so you did 1200 interviews over three projects. So you did like, so it's like what, 400 interviews per project, but am I correct? Uh, yeah, there was one of them. I, I probably did more of like 800. So why, why so many? The most people will say only do five, 10, 20. Why be so many? Well, you know, it's funny is the one that I did around 800. It was the total is a company I launched and failed. So it's really intriguing of, you know, you can do the customer discovery. You can get the opinion yeah, from but people. What's the, what's the limit, right? What's like, if you did a hundred interviews, are you just like getting information over and over again? Like when you stop and like move to the next part, so to speak. Oh yeah. To the next part. Um, yeah. So, well, through customer discovery, you do have the different segments, right? You're like, you, what's the pricing? What's the material? It, you have multiple different stages to get to that um, full product of saying, hey, this is what I'm selling. Would you buy it for? Well, speaking of pricing, any recommendations on people like get their pricing right? I've heard like, you know, whatever you, whatever you charge, you should charge at least three times that much because you're undervaluing yourself. But then you're like, I can't charge too much. I'm, I'm a startup. You know, no one's going to buy this for, you know, X amount of money yet, you know. How do you yeah. balance that? You know, I've heard it. People too is, um, people are charging $400 for something that's $2. And honestly, I mean, you want to make money, but it why? Really has to be some kind of ethics in there, right? Yeah. I, and they're like, just like well, you're, you're all the time like, during like hurricanes, people sell, you know, charge a hundred dollars for a bottle of water. Some yeah. bullshit like that, you know? Oh, can you open this by the way? Yeah. Thank you. I um messed up my thumb. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah. And they say it's prestige, right? Like, oh, it's this phenomenal, it's a phenomenal, you get to feel fancier. It's being sold to the richer people of Seattle. Like what this t-shirt's five bucks, but if you put, you know, some fancy name on it, now it's a $500, you know? Yeah. I mean, that sounds really not the type of aspect I would like to go on in this world. Um, so for my pricing, I try to get, I try to see what do I need to be able to survive on for the year? You know, what am I, how do I get my, my basic needs met? How do I get my team? How do I get their basic needs met? And I have the product and then what can I grow from there? And I don't want to overcharge right now. I mean, my prototype, if I pushed it out at the price that it's at right now, I'd be losing $50 but I want to get to that price because I want it to be more accessible to everyone. And so, you know, if I end up making 10 or $15 on each product, I think it's then my job to make more surrounding opportunities around it. Right. Um, I, I don't think, especially if you're having a product that is helping people, rich people are not the only people that need help. Yeah. Oh, so what's, what's, what's a good process for someone to build out their MVP? Like how advanced your MVP should be like an MVP minus? Should I have all the bells and whistles? Like what actually in your mind is an MVP? Well, it's interesting. I've gone multiple di different directions. Um, I, I showcased my product a couple months ago and it had three different versions, right? Um, but it didn't have everything in one, one item together because I'm like, well, like that would cost a lot of money right now. And so I just want to see what people are liking on those different aspects. So you can do something like that. Um, the next one that we're going to be putting out, it is most of those things combined. The one after that is going to be all the bells and whistles and more because that's the one that then we're going to finally have to hone down on every single thing that we need for the final product. 
Um, so I think when getting the MVP, if you can make it sustainable and accessible, it's good to have all the bells and whistles because then you can cut the things off if you need it. But like they don't, they can be duct taped bells and whistles, you know, if that makes sense. So how do you decide this? Like you're talking about people being narcissists, right? Probably you have like my products that have like X, right? And you like do MVP 10 people. All those 10 people say, I don't know. Like eight of 10 I don't know about this X thing, right? You should take it off. On your mind, like this is like, you should have it on there. How do you like have enough, uh, how do you be humble enough to say, okay, I need to listen to my customers to take this thing off versus, okay, I know my mind, I should have this here. It's been part of my, you know, core vision forever. Like, how do you like be humble enough? That's the right word to do that, you know? You have to listen to the customer. I mean, if it's the product you're building for them, you don't have to be humble, I guess, as a person when you're like, when you're successful. I, I, I mean, but you still need to be humble. So, I, you know, I, that's, then they should probably work on that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is working through the insecurities that you have in yourself to say, hey, I've had this amazing idea. It hasn't worked, but my team and my customers have told me it shouldn't be on there how much does it cost to keep it on there and my pride or does it save me money and it's still a really good product and it doesn't have to be on there. And so the K logic you've like gained over $200,000 done like doing research and development, like what kind of research, what kind of development is like, is like $200,000 or the lifetime of K logic, one time payment, different companies. Um, yeah. So it's been different, different companies, different research. Um, a lot of it's more geared towards like kids and how to help kids. Uh, a lot of it's trauma healing focused. Uh, and then some of it was some lingerie. So, you know. <laughs> What's been your most fun research project you've done? Mm. Maybe, maybe not most fun, but like most um, broken for the like most um, enhancing, most um, fulfilling, most fulfilling you've done okay so those are two very different answers um the most fun was this relationship app i did um that was just talking to people about their relationship how they felt their personalities their other their partner's personalities that was a lot like I, again i love love the most fulfilling is what i'm working on right now um and helping kids and trying to find the best way to help them is, is why I'm here. I think it's really why I'm, it's what I'm supposed to be doing this lifetime around. So change this up a little bit. You just did a trip to New York City. And I saw you post on Instagram. You look so happy there, like the stuff you're doing. Can you talk about the trip or what you did there and all the fun you had? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. New York City is my favorite city in the world. It always will be, always has been. Um, my, my heart, my heart is in New York City. And, um, I went for a bachelorette party <laughs> like, literally for, it was so cool. I've known her since middle school. I got to see her friends. I got to see her sister. Um, and it's just really cool, um, experience. And so I got in, it was just 24 hours. I needed to make sure I wasn't gone that long away from, away from my babies. And so flew in. We went and got, of course, the New York City bagel. 
we went to time um we went to times square we did central park um we were in the middle of a parade i mean we did the new york things right we went to a broadway show we ate indian at 2 a.m <laughs> yeah you know like we did we did the things that you do in new york um which is great <laughs> great time, huh? blessing absolute blessing nice and then talk about what you do with something called autism speaks Yes. So I used to volunteer with them for a couple of years and then they, they closed down the program and I worked with a Senator and, um, finding different initiatives for, um, kids with autism. And are you still involved with them? No, because they closed down the program. Okay. Yeah. So you still do stuff with autism as far as like different nonprofits or just personally? Uh, yeah. So everything that I've learned in the past, um, my, my daughter was diagnosed couple years ago, three years ago. So through all the research, I got certifications with um, autism, being a caregiver for an autistic child, um, you know, learned the the benefits and that are surrounded through autism. And that is um, also a, a path that I think led me on to being able to create. So what is way. autism? Autism is just the way, you know, they don't think. They think differently or? Being inside of her world, I mean, it's a blessing, absolute blessing. I mean, all is just a, yeah, we all think a little bit differently, right? And sometimes she needs a little bit more help, but I mean, we all do. Is it, is it like, is it genetically passed on from generation to generation or like, how's that work? You were to ask my current husband, he would say yes, and it comes from my side. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my mom became a mechanical engineer before it was popular for women to be Emmys. Um, I, everything is a perfect puzzle for me. Um, I've, of course, even Kate Logic, right? I think outside of the box, I always have. I always will. I'm fine. Give me, hey, how do you get from here to here? And I will think of all of the different ways. And, so, yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't really know where it comes from. Um, chicken and the egg, right? And so, like, how does, like, someone, how put this, like, is that, so, like, how do we get diagnosed? Like, does the parent say, my, my kid is not acting right, they think of autism test, it's like a test they take every year automatically. Like, how does someone, I, 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 I don't oh, wow. remember taking my kid saying, hey, go get an autism test right. Like, yeah. How does that come about? So, they actually have you fill it out not exactly the, the name. It's like something chat. Um, but when you go to the doctor just for your pediatric visits, um, so they set you up and they just ask you questions, you know, out of these like 12, are they like hitting those? And so they give you the answer. Um, so my daughter went, I'm pretty sure it's 12. Um, but I know that by the time she did it, when she was, two years old, she was only answering four of them. Okay. Um, so she was, um, she, she spoke 40 words and then she stopped. And throughout that process, then she, different stimming. Um, but I had her in speech therapy because she wasn't, um, she only said mama. And it, so we had her in speech therapy and then 
they said, Hey, check out of a, check out a visual, um, like a visual calendar. Right. So I looked it up on Pinterest and it always was tagged with autism. And so we went the next time and I said, Hey, you know, she's low on this chart. You guys want me to do a visual calendar, like a visual schedule. Right. Um, and it's saying autism and they're like, yes, how do you feel about that? And I'm like, doesn't change my kid, still my kid. And they're like, okay, well then we think she should get tested. So it was actually her speech therapist who suggested it. And then I went to the pediatrician and they then did the test again, just to make sure that nothing changed within a couple months. And they, they also and once Great. you get diagnosed with autism, do you ever get rid of it or it's like it's with you the rest of your life? It's always with you. Okay. Yeah. But you have high functioning. You have, mm-hmm. there's like three levels, one, two, and three. Three, you need more support. Two, you need less. And then one, more high functioning. And you happen to know what percentage of the population has this? No, but they are saying right now that one in four are being diagnosed with autism. Okay. And you think that's because that's more people are getting tested for it? or? <laughs> I think that is because... 15 years ago, they decided to start testing women with autism and the characteristics that they found for women and men are different for autism. That's interesting. Yes. And so, you know, girls, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's a shy girl. She likes ballet. She likes gymnastics. Right. So she's shy. So one of the characteristics, she doesn't want to be around people. She wants to be by herself. Right. She's I mean, that's a lot of introverts right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 It is. Um, but is it and and where and where is it setting? Right. It's not just one category and it's off, right? But you know, women are we're always in ballet, right? We're on our tippy toes all the time. That's another characteristic. The um wanting to be on a balance beam and move around or rock climbing, that's a characteristic. And they're learning like when you're saying, oh, or like even girls are taught to mask their behavior, right? If you meet a girl and she's just like, ha, 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 hi, because she feels like that's what she should do in that setting, right? Um, and then that's masking, but women do that. And so I think more people are being diagnosed now because they're hitting half of the population, which they weren't hitting before. You talk about the different levels. Is there, how do you go for like one level to a different level? Just like you have to take medicine, like training, like how does someone like go from like a higher level to a low level? Was that even possible? Um, yeah. Um, my daughter went from a two plus to a one. Um, she's high functioning. She's, um, and a lot of it's, there's different theories surrounded by it. Uh, she doesn't take medicine, uh, medicine. She doesn't care about consistency besides if I'm there with her. Um, but what she does need is she needs like a sensory swing. She needs to be like swung around all the time. And that is different than um, it, she, she, her behavior will change. Um, and so that can help. I mean, I, I still think she will always have her two plus diagnosis. It's just now we've learned things that she needs in her daily life. Um, to make life easier for her. And is your daughter in kindergarten already or school or not yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's in kindergarten. So how does it work? Like, like in, for intern school, like do you have to tell, are you supposed to tell the, the, the school district, hey, my daughter has autism and they treat them differently? Like how does that work, you know? Yeah, so she's set up with an IEP 
And so any kid with a diagnosis is set up with an IEP. And, and, and they'll go to like, there's no such thing like, no, this school has 30 autism kids all in one class, right? They're like spread out throughout the school, throughout the school population. So it actually in different school districts. So I think it was the 80s, Bellevue, like Lake Washington school district was the first to implement atypical and typical kids together because they learned that the atypical kids grew in like academia where um, typical. So yeah, that was atypical. And then the typical kids um, gained more empathy by being together. Yeah, I could definitely see the pros and cons of doing both ways. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if you put it all together, the pros like, you know, they're with their same type of people. They're not different. They learn, you know, and but again, if you put them, the con is like, they don't know how to deal with society. Right. Cause they're going to society. Like everyone's, you know, Oh my God, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, I think that's, what's phenomenal about integration and then having someone come in for 20 minutes or being taken out for 20 minutes. Right. My, my daughter does not feel different. No kid should ever ever feel like they are excluded from other kids that are their age at all ever um when you do you start putting them in this box and they're going to be that person you tell them to be and so when you have them together they get to be together and those kids right we didn't grow up this way right we grew up to ask questions we or not even ask questions we like Disability was when she got her diagnosis, it was the first time I entered into the disability world. Why was that the first time I was entered into the disability world? Because that is what's wrong. We all think differently. We all do not take perfect like tests. We don't, right? We we learn differently. We experience life differently. And so saying that, oh, because this kid is having a difficult time learning English. And you're going to take them out. I mean, or if this kid needs to be on a seat that wobbles, just put a seat that wobbles in the classroom, right? Like, do they need to be in a swing? And does it disturb another kid? If the other person, if, if it disturbs a kid or an adult that a kid is happy in a swing and they can actually study better and they can learn better, you can teach that kid empathy, right? I mean, saying, Hey, like, yes. Or, I mean, it could be distracting because the movements, I, I get the movements, right? But I'm talking about a sensory swing, so I wouldn't be moving too much, right? It just, it kind of like hugs them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm very extremely passionate that we should. Uh, so, no, each kid probably needs their own personal needs, right? But economically, how does the school district pay for that, right? I mean, how, how does the school district like, like, actually like pay money to all these different needs and stuff, right? I. Or you think it's something that we need to, pay, need to pay for? Societies need to figure out a way how to do it. I think every kid should have an IEP. What uh, is it, what's an IEP? Um, it's uh, why am I forgetting the first name? Individualized education plan. Okay. And I think every kid should have an IEP. I think there every kid has pluses and minuses that they do well in in every single curriculum at every point in time of their life we have no idea what's going on in their home we have no idea what's going on in their mind but if we can help them and we have an individualized plan that works with their strengths and we can excel their strengths right 
But that's what we need. I mean, we need to invest in our kids. As a society, we need to invest in mothers and we need to invest in kids because that's what makes our society. Uh, and so taking away like, like, yeah, I need to be a working mom. Like, great. I'm an awesome working mom, but I cannot do it all. No one can. Right. And kids, kids need support. And so we're all in our individualized houses, all like being able to multitask on, you know, the TV and our phone and our kid all at the same time. Right. Um, we have enough money out there. Why are we just not supporting the children? Right. It's about supporting them. Like, like you don't know what's going on at home. Like, you know, like, like example, I use like, you know, if, if uh, some of the ninth grade is struggling with algebra and their mother is a single mother who like dropped out of high school, like how is she going to help them? Right. Yeah. Probably not versus someone who's like struggling in algebra and their parents, are, two parents are math teachers in college, you know, like it's, it's I mean, it's, I'm sure it's life, but no, no way it's not fair. Right. And how do you balance that out? You know? Right. And so, you know, that kid's not dumb and that mom is not dumb. Right. And so why like don't pity them, support them, uh, like support them in the school, support them at home. Like it, don't give that kid a less opportunity in the world just because, you know, and she might be really good at English, right? We have no idea what her strengths are and we yeah. don't know what his strengths are. Yeah. Like he might be bad. Like they could both be really good at English. Yeah. So like I, I consider myself a capitalist, right? But one thing I always thought was unfair <laughs> or not right is like, like if, if you have a rich school district, right? The schools get paid off property tax. You have a rich school district, the property tax gives them all this advantage, right? For a poor, poor economic neighborhood, their property tax is like nothing and they have no resources, right? Mm -hmm. I always thought it would be some kind of way to fix that, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm against socialism. I don't think you should like, I don't know how you fix that, right? Like, but to me, it's like inherently unfair, like, because this rich neighborhood is a bunch of millionaires, houses worth $500,000. They get better education than people in the other neighborhood, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love capitalism. I get it. But why do we struggle with housing and food and water? Like, why are, like, an internet, right? I mean, you can go to different countries and they have internet for the whole country and there you go, it's done. Like, best you go to Asia, like, I came from Vietnam, I've I been in Korea for three years. Yeah. The internet makes us look like AOL, like we're, <laughs> like we're still in AOL. Yeah. I mean, right? It's, it's like ridiculously fast. Like, and it's not, it's, it's like, and everyone has it. <laughs> From the poorest person to the richest billionaire, mm -hmm. they have the same access, same internet. And it's so fast. It's, mm -hmm. and we had, like, it's like the AOL over here still, if you don't realize it. Yeah. And then that's if, if you're in Seattle, San Francisco, you have decent internet. But if you live like, you know, like Farmville, Kansas, you know, biggest city, 20, 30 miles away, you hope you have huge net or open link or something. Yeah. And like, beep, 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 or whatever that, that sound is. Um, no, it's, it's true. So the fact that we don't even have internet or if someone's struggling for housing, I mean, that, that doesn't even make sense yeah. or the quality of water yeah. someone is drinking and then they have to go and study the same material. They have the same tests that they have to take. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're, the, I the, come from Michigan. Their water, like the toxicity. Yeah, yes. Michigan, yeah. So how are those kids ever going to get higher test scores no. than the kids in Oakland County, which it used to be like richest county in America? I think what makes it worse, like you, you, you take somebody from, we'll say a rich school district, right? Mm -hmm. They have all the power techs and then the parents are still, I like, give money, you know, donate money, mm -hmm. different things. 
where you're coming from like uh, uh, economic disadvantaged background, those parents have no money to donate. Yeah. It makes it even worse. Well, but think about middle class, right? So middle class, you're still in a society and you're still trying to supplement and things are being taken away from you. I mean, you got all the money in the world. Of course, that's why we're capitalists, right? Like we want to be able to have the things that was difficult to see, right? I mean, but everyone needs that. Um, and I you could have asked me 15 years ago and I would have gave you a completely different answer. But I've I've lived both. Yeah. Lived all three. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, everyone should just have housing and clean water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it drives me crazy. Like, you know, the Flint, Michigan thing, I think I went on for years, right? They couldn't fix the water. And then I think it was, I think it was Jackson, Mississippi a couple years ago. The water was no water at all in Jackson, Mississippi. Something happened there. Mm-hmm. I remember when... Um, Deion, Deion Sanders was a coaster and his players actually had to like, like shower and like take baths and the swimming pool water because the water didn't work or something crazy like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could totally see that. And then I remember growing up, my mom had to put dye in the bath so I didn't get weirded out that the water was a different color. Yeah. I mean, it. Why? And so from <laughs> seventh grade to high school, I would live in a town called Odessa, Texas, in West Texas, like older oh, country. Okay. And, and living there, like the water is not clear. It's kind of like brownish, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And like when you're there, you don't really know it's right. It's like drink it, whatever. When you leave and come back, you're like, how in the world did I drink this right? Because when you come back, it's like almost like this color, this bourbon, right? The taste is horrible. Yeah. But, and like everyone's teeth all jacked up because the, the, that stuff in the water erodes their teeth and it turns them brown. Yeah. When you're there, it's like, it's normal, right? And then you leave and come back, oh my God, like this is horrible, right? Do you get sick when you start drinking that water again if you've been gone away? So there was a, a thing, there's a lawsuit, a lot of lawsuits where like people are suing the like oil companies and petrochemical companies because of that, oh. right? Of course, they never won because like, you know, like nonprofits try to sue and like they have a little rich lawyers and stuff, you know. But then again, you know, uh, oil refill yeah. pays good money, right? So. Hey, but. It's clean water. It's a kid's yeah. mom. That's a, I mean, so many different people have been affected just because, I mean, look at right now, how many degrees of ocean water should there be? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it makes me like Flint, Michigan, it took so, so long to fix that. I don't think it's still fixed, right? Like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think we just stopped talking about it. And yeah, Flint has a lot of interesting I mean, right, I study kids and, and trauma. And so they're like one in four, our kids are being abused there. Yeah. Um, and you wonder, it's like, well, what's the water that's been in these people's brains, yeah. right? And Yeah, I was watching, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast today. He's talking to Sam Altman. And Joe Rogan was talking about where like each, each week we eat all the plastic we eat. We, we get it. We put a credit card of plastic in our body every week. He, he was, they were filling on the screen, right? I mean, over a lifetime, that's a lot of plastic in your body, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're starting to become plastic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is, I was watching, like, supposed to be the happiest places in the world, right? And it's on Netflix. I forgot what it's called. But, and they, they go through these different countries. Like, yes, you know, they're super happy. And, you know, they talk to the, the older people. They have the cent- centuriums, right? They're all over 100. Um, and I think it's four or five different locations. I, I watched three of them, but each segment, the younger kids had plastic little containers of food that they were eating out of. Yeah. 
I mean, you talked to the older people and they were like, yes, like if someone was running out of money, like, you know, they had a, they had a group of people, you had your village, you had a group of people. And if someone had, like, if they lost their job for a period, you would help them find a job, but you would also help pay for things. Right. And then they would do it back for you. It's this this community. Right. And no one took advantage of it because they made sure you also didn't take advantage of it. Right. You just supported each other and getting a job and supporting like the entire family. And they talked about the healthy food that they're eating. Right. And then you literally see a Coke bottle next to, you know, a 20 year old. I mean, those cultures, they might be 105 now, but what are they going to be 95 years from now? I mean, mm-hmm. how much plastic have we destroyed? Yeah, like what, what's the cost going to be in the future for convenience, right? Right. I mean, yeah, and that's crazy about my love of efficiency and but how much I love hand washing my clothes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, just the joy of taking care of the clothes that I have. It's not efficient. I mean, I can't do that. I can't just put them in the sun and dry them. <laughs> um, but, you know, and when Amy has her has her altropia come out, like, yeah. yes, I yeah. will totally, you know, buy it. That sounds cool. Yeah. But the joy of the inefficiency of just taking care of the clothes that I wear that cover my body and the food that I take care of and being slow with that and enjoy it. Um, I mean, there's something to be said, like go to like a farmer's market every day, get the fruit, vegetables and meat and go home and cook it versus like, you know, mass producing everything. Oh yeah. There's no, no reason why everyone needs to have access towards every single fruit loop. Yeah. Do you really need, do you really need like 20 options of Gatorade or 20 options of cereal or 20 options of this, you know? And from six different companies, cause mm-hmm. you got Gatorade, then you got off brand yeah. and that. Yeah. I mean, that. why is that? Why, why are we doing that to ourselves? Why are we doing that to our kids? And then like, you know, of course you're in Seattle, you know, we should have access to that good seafood, right? But if you're in Omaha, Nebraska, do you really have a right to have like fresh <laughs> crab legs, you know? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if we could set it up like you don't have to have access to crab legs every single day. Right. But if Nebraska, why not give the opportunity? But let's have like crab leg season. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, why do we need strawberries every single day? Yeah. We only need strawberries during strawberry season. And don't dare to go to a restaurant. Don't have strawberries for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. How dare they? Yeah. I mean, so why are we, they taste better if you get them in season, in, yeah. Yeah, in season and where they're from. So why, why are we doing that to ourselves? We're, we're teaching ourselves to deal with, you know, water tasting strawberries yeah. because we're like, well, we need strawberries in January. Like, do you yeah, really? You don't. There's another fruit you can use in January or something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get, maybe bananas we can kind of, I don't know. There's enough that there's enough selection that we can figure out how yeah. to mass produce a couple items and then seasonally push out the and others. You really need like, you know, import fruit from like, I don't know, Russia or Germany or some, you know, I get it from Mexico, Canada, you know, but you really need like, you know, I don't know, bananas from Vietnam, something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we could figure out like an efficient process of, like where are the bananas coming from and how many are being pushed out? You know what? Like, yes, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. One thing people don't talk about or don't realize, best of those don't travel to the United States, must build the food chases overseas. Like I came from Vietnam, 
it is so much better. You, you can tell, you taste the freshness. Whatever mm-hmm. that taste is, you taste it overseas, right? Mm-hmm. Every country I've been in, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, or Vietnam, whatever country, the, the food tastes so, so much better than over here. Oh, so let me tell you this. I'm anaphylactic to a couple of fruits in the United States. I can eat the same fruit in Europe. I am not anaphylactic and I can actually eat it. Um, and why, right? Like that's, that's weird. I mean, so it tastes better and it, I can it actually. Looks, it looks better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm good with ugly fruit, right? I'm good with something ugly, but they also make, they do, they prepare it in a way that it, they can take ugly fruit instead of giving me like a plastic waxed apple, right? Instead of doing that. You yeah. Can, there's a reason your apple looks so red, right? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't, I, doesn't come off the tree like that. Or whatever, I, whatever comes off, it doesn't come off like that. They don't. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it might be not the super sexiest of peeling, but I mean, you can make apple pie with an older looking apple, but it's going to taste better. I mean, that's the best way to make banana bread is yeah. old bananas. And so getting that fruit and utilizing every single piece of it. And, and that's what they do other places. I mean, that's why Costco is not in every single country. Yeah. And it shocks Americans when they're like, wow, yeah, we're not actually yeah. everywhere. Also overseas, they actually enjoy eating more, way more than we do. Like we're like, most Americans go to the drive-thru, get a, get a meal, eat in the car, you know, or like it's rush, rush, rush. Oh yeah. Like in Vietnam, like we would like sit down, like even like, if you got street food, right? You sat down and you ate had a conversation, you enjoyed your food, and you moved on, right? Wow. That is such a thought process. I mean, snack bars, protein bars, how many people are making money just by selling yeah. protein drinks uh-huh. just because right, you can yeah. drink it in the car on the way to work, <laughs> right? I mean, wow, that's fascinating to say, let's sit down for every meal and let's ask each other questions. Yeah. Yep. It was amazing. Think about the quality of life, the depression rates, mm-hmm. the marriage rates that are the divorce, right? Like yeah. the kids. Wow. Just to be there present. Yeah. We're not present anything in America. I don't think. Oh, that's quality time. Yeah. Quality time. People need that. You do. So next talk about something called um, ABA therapy. ABA therapy. Um, I can't go too much in detail. Um, not an ABA therapist, but my daughter did about 12 weeks of an intensive program. They have, it's a different type of autism therapy. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. Um, and it, it can help, but it also leads to some masking for some kids. So they learn how to fit in society. Um, and then some kids, it doesn't work at all. Um, I, I do with my experience it, it helped her grow but there's a lot of therapy I've and ways I've tried to teach her to she doesn't have to mask she doesn't have to act happy in front of someone if she's not happy she needs to stand up for herself okay so tell me a secret you have a full time job which seems pretty demanding <laughs> parenting two young girls is, is pretty demanding you do your startup stuff you did all these things. Each one could be a full-time job, right? Yes. How in the world do you do this, right? Like, are you, are you sleeping like two hours a day? Do you, do you have an AI robot somewhere doing stuff for you? <laughs> you have a nanny or like, how do you do all this? I don't. 
No one does. No, nobody ever does. Every single day you have to pick and choose what you do. Um, and so every day I am not doing everything. Um, and I, you know, I think a couple of years ago could have been said, okay, when my daughter is napping, I'm doing work and then I'm doing the other work and, and I don't watch TV that much. And so I get to insert where people are watching TV and I get to insert there, you know, um, during COVID, I didn't have a social life. So it was easy to have, you know, <laughs> to create a business because uh, it got you an excuse to talk to other humans. Right. Um, but this day and age, I, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm doing it all, but I'm selecting what I am doing and what I am doing. So you're not doing everything every day, excelling at everything every day. You pick and choose, prioritize, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so how do you decide what to prioritize from day to day? Uh, first and foremost, my kids are my priority. If my girls need my attention, um, if they need my attention and I can give them my attention, I have to do that. Because once they got my attention and they've craved it, they've got quality time, we've baked some brownies together, then she's like, oh, okay, go and work. Or my one, my one year is like, okay, I'm going to go play with other, other, someone else. Like I got my mommy time, right? So that's always, always a priority. And I think having that in, um, I'm missing the word. It's not an intention. Like it's having that intention with them. So that's what I've tried doing with my, with my girls is having that, um, something that we are doing during that time and being really excited about it. So is it eating a bunch of ice cream and combining that with my friends and their kids and saying, let's go run, let's do a pumpkin patch. Let's go to a concert together. We can do that together. Um, my, I've told this a story to my daughter for three years now. And we are now creating a book together. She's drawing the photos. She's giving me the topics and I'm just adding a couple words together. Right. So we get to then do that together and have that creative aspect. When it comes to my day job. Um, Your day job is like typical nine to five, 40, 50 hours a week. No, but I've also had leave with my day job. I've had a couple of leaves. And so during my, my leaves, I'm able to concentrate on my kids more. Um, when my day job is working, I could work up to like 80 hours, 80 hours a week. It can get pretty, pretty intensive. Um, yeah, I've always admired people like you, like have a full-time job, like, you know, it's not like you have some, like, I'll say a bullshit job, right? Working nine to five, do some bullshit, right? You mm -hmm. actually have a real job that people depend on you, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, 46 hours a week, 80 hours a week sometimes. Always admire people like you have that and still doing a startup, you know? Like I have a start, like I can barely do a start by myself, right? I can imagine working an actual job, right? So I always admire people like you. I know people like you are doing that, right? And pulling it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how much are we pulling it off? I, I think that becomes like, what have I sacrificed in different areas or how slow has a startup because, started? Because everything has a price, right? Exactly. Everything has a price. Yeah. And so it becomes that choice of, you know, what do I choose and when do I choose it? And even the startup that I'm currently working on, it's, it's not even been pushed out yet. And it is because of my main job. I've focused on my main job for a while. And so it's my startup. It's my passion. It's what I think about, but it's what's helping me process the stressors in my life. And I need that. So I'm going to guess that your job, you're not getting paid minimum wage. You're getting paid a good, a decent salary, right? 
what's the decision making process? What happens to happen if you start to say, okay, I can go all into my startup. I have enough metrics and extraction. I have enough something to quit my day job. What's that decision like? Hmm. I think when I can leave my day job without burning bridges, it doesn't matter how much money I make, but I don't want to leave the people behind if I don't have to. Um, I don't think it's money that particularly matters. It needs to be timing. That's right. Okay. And then um, what is social networking? Social networking. Well, that's something I worked on for a while. Um, like a, think of like a dating app. You need people for it to work. Um, you know, you need the whole idea is that other people to date someone, you need more than five options or two options. Right. So you need more, more aspects going on. So what exactly is trauma? Like, how do you even define that? How do you determine what that is? Cause I'm guessing trauma could be different to different people. Right. Yeah, I think, um, and, and trauma has different levels. I mean, there, there's a difference between someone who's been to war or just has war at home. Um, and what I think it's when you are rewired. Um, I think that is, yeah, that would be for me seeing someone if you see someone on a Tuesday and they see them on a Friday and something has happened during those days and they are different, they've been rewired. They've, and if they've gone through what they would say is trauma, that's. And why do you think people respond to trauma differently? Like some people like it destroys them. Other people actually like, I won't say thrive on trauma, like actually like, you know, more resilient, so to speak. Right. I think it destroys us. It destroys the past. You grieve who you were. You grieve the thoughts you had before. But you pick yourself up. Um, forgot who said it was an old football coach. My dad always said this. It doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It matters how many times you pick yourself up. And I think that um, one, one second can change your life. And depending on how you want to do that. I, I, it can, it, I've, I've fallen to pieces. I, so many people have fallen to pieces. Wait, I mean, how many adults can say they've cried in a bathroom? Probably a lot, right? Um, and to fully admit to say that and say, okay, I want to laugh in the bathroom. Right? I want to laugh with people. Um, I think that's the will. So I found the stat, I think on your LinkedIn or website or somewhere, the stat is, and to me, this is like very disappointing, very disturbing. Oh, I think I know. Yeah. 97% of kids report they've been abused, but only 4% of believe. And that's like, that just like blew me away. Like, how is it even possible, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure kids, some kids make some stuff up, you know, they're like little evil monsters. Some kids are right. But 97% or 4% believe that's like, that's, I don't know. That's incredible. That's, that's so disappointing. Uh, you can see my eyes water. Yeah. It's the most heartbreaking thing in the world because you, that's when someone cannot get through trauma, right? When you have support around you, when you have people that listen to you, 
I mean, and do you think it's because, you know, they'll say like a family member or a close friend, hey, Uncle Tommy did this to me. Oh, no, Uncle Tommy didn't, you know. Or, you know, your friend John did this to me. No, he didn't, right? Do you think that plays into it too? Like it's, it's used like a member, close friend, a close family member who gets accused of stuff versus like some random stranger. If they're a random stranger, you know, they would probably leave him, right, 100% of the time because as a close person, they're like, oh, you're telling a fib. It's most of the time it's someone who's close to them. It's either the family or it, it's either the immediate family or secondary or a close friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is heartbreaking. And it depends on who's willing to stand up for that kid and to be a voice for them. And are they taught that they can have a voice or are they taught no one's going to listen to them and no one's going to believe them. So where does it come from? And if you get a kid who's gone through trauma and told someone and then 15 years later, they go through another trauma, how do they know how to get through that? Because yeah. last time they asked for help and they didn't get it. And how do, and of course not going to trust anyone. Like I'm not going to tell you anything because this happened in the past. Yeah. Or they think it's okay. They think they deserve it. So then they just and keep. That's the worst thing ever when people think they deserve it. Mm-hmm. It's my fault because whatever, you know. Yeah. So I wrote this down. I have no idea what I did. I wrote down mindfulness and holistic well-being. Mindfulness. And holistic well-being. And holistic well-being. Yes. I could see that probably after you. After you read Verwave. That's where the okay. stat was from. Okay. Um, and that's what we're trying to give tools um, to kids to be able to be, I mean, at least that's what I would get from that statement. Um, That's what we're all trying to be as adults. We have plenty of tools, but what do kids have? They're supposed to have us. So like there's like, if you buy a car, there's a manual, buy a refrigerator, there's a manual, everything buys a manual. You have a kid, there's no manual. Should there be a type of manual somewhere, you know, of course, of course, some people, your manual is like your parents, your grandparents, the family, of course, all families are on the same, right? A lot, there's a lot of messed up families out there, right? So there should be, should be like some kind of man. Oh, Hey, um, Mr. Mrs. John Smith, you having a baby. You got to take this course to get certified to be a parent, you know, like, or it's like even, Hey, you can't have sex until you take this course. Right. Of course that would never happen, but should that happen? Um, my opinion. Oof. when I brought my first daughter home from school, I'm like, why are you giving me her? Like what? I don't know how to do this. And they're like, you are the one that's going to give her the most love. You will. And you can make the best choices. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Uh, got this. Um, and then, you know, in a different period of my life, I was going through um, therapy with, about my mom, right? Phenomenal mom. But I was told Every parent gets, you know, a deck of cards. And at some point in life, sometimes they don't have the full, like, and then they get, you know, a hand at a time. And sometimes they have a full hand. Sometimes they only have one card that they're working with. And you have to see where they're at and understand that they're human. And so I get that. Again, I'm I'm about support. We might need manuals. Manual sounds great, but I parent differently than my best friend. Yeah. Um, and so how do you get that manual of how you're supposed to treat your kid? <sighs> Ooh, maybe adults need more manuals. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> so 
I'm sure like whenever your kids come to you and say, hey, mommy, I want to do this. Remember what they want to do, you're happy. But what's something when they come to you and say, I want to do this, you're like, yes. Like, like something you really enjoy doing with your kids. Like, okay, they ask you to do this. Like, you're like, you really like doing this. Uh, I love making pancakes. Pancakes, okay. Mm-hmm. You make a little small, like star pancakes or big pancakes. I make kinds. like a hundred pancakes at a time. Uh, <laughs> and we have fun just putting everything in the ingredient. I love that because she's able to control that. Mm-hmm. And she does a really good job. So I taught her how to do eggs, everything like that. Um, snuggles. Always do snuggles. Always down for that. Um, yeah. If she wants to tell me a story. I love it when she just wants to spend time with you. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. So what's advice you can give to entrepreneur out there? Whether like they're throwing an idea, have this idea. What's, what's the advice to like a new entrepreneur? Be an entrepreneur. If, if when you're holding on, if it, if it helps give your life meaning, like if you have fun with it, right? If you ever, if you're having a hard time creating a business, I mean, the first stages, it should be fun, right? Like you shouldn't have to have a meaning of, okay, I want to make a lot of money, right? I mean, for an entrepreneur, I say, what is there in the world that could truly be better? Like how can you truly benefit thousands of people or even one, right? But how can you benefit them. Don't think about the money. Think about how you can actually help society. And from your point of view, what are some pros and cons of being an entrepreneur? Uh, The stability of money is a con. (laughs) (laughs) Hands down. You laugh. You know that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, I'd love to not be able to figure out how much is a cucumber in Seattle right now. Uh, (laughs) um, You know what? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a con. Um, the pro, I think a pro and a con is that I'm making the decisions. So it's fun being able to have the control, but damn, do I really have to make all the decisions, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I can feel that. Um, so are certain people more predisposed to be entrepreneur versus other people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think people who want control, who are creative... Um, who can think outside of the box. I always joke around that like if you're an entrepreneur, you should have to take some kind of mental health test first, right? Because like <laughs> we have, there's something that has to be mentally wrong with us, right? Don't want to do this. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Question my mom all the time. <laughs> like, why? Why are you doing that? Like, why would you spend time doing, you know? Like, why are you spending money on a company that can fail? You know, like, <laughs> Yes, I get that. <laughs> and for your your current startup, it's only you working on it, right? No, no. Um, so I, my my stepdad is actually working on it with oh. me, and I've had a couple friends um, have taken small parts with it. So I have a, I have a small team. Okay, and how long have you been working on it? Been working on it since April. April, so pretty pretty new. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's actually like a meditation 
stuff toy, right? Mm-hmm. And so lots of questions like the stuff toy, where's it going to be made at? Where is it going to be made at? Or where is it being made? Or where is it being made at? Mm, it's being made at, uh, depends where I am. You know, if I'm driving, it's being made in my car. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's being, yeah. Made in Seattle. There's parts of it in Michigan mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> so it was a massive plan, which you had to like produce like thousands at a time to get a factory in China to do it, do a factory here, like outsource it. That's a, that's a large question from, I need to answer in six months. My goal is to be able to partner with Goodwills and Salvation Armies okay. to be able to get the fabric. So that's what I want to be able to do. I would love to be able to have my own facility. Um, and the stuffed animal, is it like a tiger, a bear, elephant? Is it going to change every time? It can change every single time. So okay. what's cool about it is that the box can come out and then be put into a different animal. So if one day your kid is really into unicorns, the UI will be unicorns. If the next day they're into bears, but you still want them to meditate, why do you need to keep buying more technology? Mm -hmm. Right. So you can take the unicorn aspect off of it and then put in what, what did I say? A horse or something. So you can just a bear. So then you can just put the bear stuffed animal over the box and the UI changes. So how does it actually work? Like, is like, like you put something to stuff animal. Like how's that work? Yeah. So think of like a smashed egg Mm -hmm. down um, we'll have, we'll have a prototype for about, uh, last week I said two weeks, so we should be about a week away. Uh, <laughs> so I think of like a smashed egg it has uh, a screen inside of it and that's a 3d print. And then you have the screen. And so that screen can teach kids okay. then how to meditate. Um, and then there's aspects to the stuffed animal that help. I know it, on the website it says for the kids 3d eight. What, how did that come about 3D8? It's like you need the scientific research. It's like it was recommended to you. Why 3D8? Why not you know, like 8 to 14 or 20 to 27? Why 3D8? Why that specific age group? Oh, I specifically chose that. Um, kids at eight years old are recommended that they are um, can start learning meditation. Um, so between eight and 10 is usually when they start. So I was kind of gearing towards three to seven. But if you can teach a nonverbal three-year-old to meditate, then you can teach an adult to meditate. And so that is what I'm gearing towards. So how are you going to influence or convince parents that their four-year-old needs to meditate? Um, so we go to the soccer game yesterday, right? Got to see Megan's last game. Phenomenal opportunity, right? My daughter, she's five. She has PTSD. She has autism. Two years ago, I was never going to be able to take her to a sporting event. She wouldn't have been able to handle it. I tried like UW and we went for about 15 minutes. It was too loud. We left. Last night, my daughter was very overstimulated and she meditated herself to sleep in the middle of the game. You can convince a parent that they can go out, they can have fun, they can teach their kid to experience life. And then they, their kid can learn how to meditate when they're overstimulated. What's the um, advantage of a kid that he's learned to meditate? The advantage? Mm-hmm. Uh, <sighs> there's different aspects in the traditional parenting, right? If you can teach your kid to meditate, they're uncomfortable and they get to learn how to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, right? So, if, you know, they're younger siblings getting more attention than they are or if like, you know, they're not getting to play with Paw Patrol and they want to play with Paw Patrol, right? What a kid with trauma who has no parents, 
no support system. What you are teaching them when you when they learn how to meditate is this coping skill to make the right decision. You're teaching them that a second can change their life from being in prison for the rest of their life or saying no and maybe going to college. Yeah. One second can change their life. So if you can teach a kid who has trauma, who has no support, that tool to just to be able to take a breath, you give them a voice. You are literally handing the voiceless a voice when you are doing that for them. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Amy put in the chat that you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so. I'm sure you've talked about this, but I think one one demographic that would really use this. Can I say I love yeah. you, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> so I think one demographic. I'm sure you've thought about this, like foster kids. Mm -hmm. I think this would be amazing for foster kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely the foster kids who go through forensic interviews. Mm -hmm. So the ones that are a forensic interview. I talked to a forensic interview viewer who's so she's a psychologist. She did it for seven years. Out of seven years, four kids found justice. Four. I mean, so you think of all the foster kids who are going thinking, hey, I might have hope if I talk to this person and the judicial system messes with them. How do they filter life? Yeah. And then like, I couldn't imagine like being a foster kid, like you're 14 years old, you've been turned down like 30 families, 40 families. This has to like just destroy your psyche, I would think, right? I mean. Yeah. How do you trust? How do you think that you're worthy of life? How do you think you're worthy of human interaction? And how do you get people to trust you? And then another problem society needs to fix, I think, is like, you know, like you're, you're through, you're, no one adopts you or whatever. So you're 18. And I, it's might be, might be true. And I, I just think it is, right? You're 18. They're pretty much like, okay, you're out of the foster system, right? Like, where do you go? You have no family. Like, hopefully you have job skills. Like, I don't right. know. It's like. And what happens if you have a baby? Mm -hmm. I mean, the type of support that you have, like, and most likely you're not having a baby with someone who is supportive. Yeah. So how do you go through that struggle? How do you find a job? I mean, how do you think that you're worth more than what society has already given to you? Like if you're a baby and no one wanted to hold you, yeah. who wants to hold you when you're 25? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I like... My, my hands down, my goal is for this to be in every single classroom of the United States. Every single, every single kid should have access to it. And I think that's the best way. Yeah. And so are you going to like target Seattle first with this or? Yeah. Like what's yeah. your go to market plan, so to speak, I guess. I go to market plan, my GTM. It's a great, it's a great question. Need to have a awesome, sexy prototype first, don't, <laughs> don't I? Uh, I feel like I got a couple more steps before I answer that question. Um, yeah, my GTM, my daughter will have it first. Yeah, yeah, okay. and um, the places that have helped her, and that's been a couple places. So there's okay. been places in Michigan and places in Seattle, mm -hmm. and they will also. My go-to-market plan is not going to be the traditional. Um, you know, what the Jones and Foster, mm -hmm. probably what they would yeah. say is, you know, filter out this uh -huh. way. Um, and my, in the beginning, it might just be handing out my product mm -hmm. just to some kids who I think they need it. Um, and then I'll put it on Walmart shelves. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, and I'm guessing like, and of course this is like, 
question you probably even thought about like down the road, you have like in different languages, they'll go to different countries, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're doing it without any words. Any words? Okay. Just, just visuals. Yeah. A three okay. to seven year old. How many kids who have gone through trauma who have are nonverbal can then read? Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is to be able to make it. Um, I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, eventually like there'll be different ones, different UIs mm-hmm. that have different languages. I, I mean, every single language you know, sounds great. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think different cultures, I mean, it, it, the UI will have it for like, you know, you'll say that, um, but the, our father, um, they'll say the Gaia tree. I, I mean, it'll be able to have these different UIs that are plugged in with it. Like, yeah, the goal is every, every classroom in America. And I think we as America don't actually have a designated language. So that would mean that we need all of the languages. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far with building a startup, what's been the biggest roadblock so far? The biggest hindrance to getting to you? you want, what do you want to be at? Time. Time. Yeah. It's my biggest hindrance. Um, you know what? No, no, that's a, that's a cheesy answer. Oh, time. Of course. Uh, my biggest hindrance myself. Um, I definitely have imposter syndrome. Um, there's no doubt about it. And so I stop myself from creating something beautiful or I, I do it in a way that I know is not the best way to do it. I'm like, okay, in the back of my mind, I could do it this way and it's probably more efficient, but I'm going to do it this way. And, but why? Right. And I think some of those answers are to deal with imposter syndrome. Isn't it crazy like how so many people have imposter syndrome or how successful you are? So like in the last Olympics, and women's gymnastics, someone, someone, well, someone bought like best gymnastics all the time, right? She didn't compete because she didn't need to compete, right? So the lady who won is a lady named Suni Lee out of the United States. She won the Olympic oh, gold medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like she did an interview where like she didn't believe she deserved it because it's Simone Biles was the I won a one, right? Like the guy was like, well, you won. He's like, no, but I shouldn't have, I didn't deserve to win. I shouldn't have won, right? And like, I'm thinking like, man, you're the best in mess in the world. Let me go medalist all around gyms and you have imposter syndrome. Like what hope do the rest of us have, right? Right. And I'm telling you, Simone wasn't there, right? I mean, she did have the twisties. And so yeah. at that moment in time, she was the best in the world. Yeah. And so for her not to believe that, that it's just it's mind boggling. It is. But is that also and, and, what drives us too? What makes yeah. us work so hard? Yeah, no, like, you know, like what's the thing? Is it better? Like, you know, if you do, is it better? Like, suppose you do 10 things, you do nine great, one average. Is it better to be lauded your success and nine things? Is it better to like, be driven by the, you know, the, the failure, so to speak, to make yourself better, you know? Well, and how do you keep yourself humble? Yeah. That's <laughs> true too, you like, know? I, like, how can you say, yeah, I'm the best in the world, yeah. right? Without sounding yeah. like you're a little yeah. too cocky. I mean, unless you're somebody in Biles who just won like an eight straight war championship or something <laughs> like that. Like, okay, maybe you get to do it right. <laughs> yeah. But how does she even come out and say like, oh, I'm the, yeah. you know, even Phelps, right? How does he mm-hmm. come out when he right. was the best in the world? Uh, you can come out, but then how do you still? There's definitely a fine line. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And finding that, I think that's really hard, hard to find. And yeah, it's pretty easy to cross too, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I was definitely not humble when I was 23 years old. And I was like, I got a great job walking around. Uh, yeah. No, I, I definitely was way cockier than I needed to be. <laughs> so what's the name of your, your company again? It's called Verwave. And so is that name you had even kind of purpose for you? Is this a brand name you picked out? Purpose. Um, Ver means hero in Sanskrit and, or to overcome mm-hmm. and wave. And so you have to overcome the wave. Okay. We're teaching kids to overcome the wave. 
Um, one of my thoughts, my daughter comes to me and she says, mom, I had a really big wave and I breathed and she's like, well, she didn't say breathe. She said, I, I smelled the flower. I blew out the candle and then the wave went away. So that's a goal. Okay. All right. And then, um, like what else? What, what's your like, um, plan for hiring people? Mm, my plan for hiring people. Okay. So money sounds great. Yeah. Money. Some people are into it. Um, I've had a couple people who said they were into it. They were part of my team and just kind of, they, I thought they were really good, but they really spread myself thin. And yeah. so looking at someone and saying, how can you actually help? This is when I would be selfish. How can you actually help me? Yeah. Right. Because I'm doing everything for the company. So how can you help me be able to do things better? I guess like you bring someone on where like a contract employer or maybe outside agency mm -hmm. that have you, help you do something. And they're like, they start telling you what to do. Like, dude, I, I don't know how to support social media. I don't know how to do this right. I hire you to do this right. And they, they, want, they want to tell you how to do it right. Like, what am I paying you for? Right. Yeah. No, 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 definitely. Like if I, if I hired you, well, and that's why I like the 30, 60, 90, right. I can bring in someone and bring them in for, for 90 days. And I'm pretty open in the first stages like that. Right. Like I want people to be surrounded and say, you might not have the awesome prestigious HCDE degree from UW, but you're into it. So you've read all the books, right. But you actually have, you know, an, an arts degree you come in and 90 days later, you're like, Hey, I've looked at what they're doing in different countries. I think we should apply this. It should have this sound it should be this motion. Right. Then I I'll talk to them and say, Hey, you're a great asset on the team. How can we figure out, like, let's hone on your strengths, study a little bit. And I want to hear your opinion on this aspect. And I'm going to have you do this for a couple months and see how you do and see if you're happier and passionate about this, then I'll do that. Um, and see how they actually mold with the team because if they're able to work with each other better. Yeah, one thing I don't think we talk about enough is like how, how like, like everyone wants to start, right? Everyone like wants to work for a startup, you know, and you know, get the, all the super fancy stuff, you know, make millions of dollars. The fact is after six months, pretty much all of them leave, right? Cause like that is, you know, cause there's no money, no funding has been raised, right? Mm -hmm. You can't expect someone to work for you for free for six months, right? Mm -hmm. And like, there's so, I think when you start to go through so many people because of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I've felt that too with, you know, people are working and we're, we're trying to get, we're trying to raise money. And then they're like, well, we can't do this because I need money and this is money right away. And, you know, so I can't, I can't worry about money that's coming from six, six months from now or even a year from now. Right. And it's like, well, I get that. But that's also how you pick and choose people who are passionate about the product because they don't have to work full time yeah. on it. They can work five minutes a week, but if they're passionate about it and they want to put the five minutes in, that sounds great, right? We'll bring you in when we can help pay your bills. Like I get that. Um, keeping them in, again, it's interesting and extrinsic value and where I am located in my family and my life and what I'm doing with the company, right? So if I feel like I'm doing a, like a, if I'm working on it full force, getting a lot of things done, um, you know, I, I don't know if they're good people, I'll give them a break. I, I would love to be able to have the money to be able to pay for people though. 
once I'm at that point in time where I'm bringing in money, my, my team will be built from a wide range of people. I mean, ex-cons to Harvard. I remember somebody did a, a poll, a question on Twitter one day. And it was like, you know, if you were like to massively raise money today, what do you spend it on? People said, you know, tech, market events. Of 100 answers of me and two other people, only three who said we wanted to pay our people right. Oh, wow. And everyone else said like, tech, all this. We only three of us said to pay, pay our people. Yeah. Well, I thought it was kind of, you know, insightful, right? How people think, you know. Tech. Yeah, but. You got to pay your people though. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so if I can, if I can get to the point that everyone's sitting on a. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, like, did the intern do his job right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jason did not do his job right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it'd be really cool if we could um, get to a point that I can pay, pay everyone to be able to get the things that they want in life. Yeah. Yeah. If I could get all the money raised right away. Yeah. What do you think the future of fundraising is, right? Because, like, I, I, I had an article, I read an article, someone sent it to me where, like, Based on this time, compared to this time last year, funding in Seattle jobs has gone down by 35%. PCT has gone back down by 50%, you know. Hmm. The future? The rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? Yeah. So I think the future is. Like if you raise money before, you probably have a better advantage versus someone who's never raised it before, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hands down. And. What can the rich people get a tax write off for? Mm-hmm. And what can what can their books make their books look good? Yeah. How do you do that right? Um, and do they want to have their books look good? I think a lot of people are understanding that our waters are higher degrees than they should be. And so if you're funding anything in that world, rich people. So are you going to fundraise your company? You're going to bootstrap it as long as you can? I'm going to bootstrap it. I want to bootstrap it and see where I go. I would like to fundraise, but I need to trust the people that I'm surrounding yeah. myself with. Yeah. You definitely got to have the right match, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and grants. I'll be doing grants. Oh, and it, the grants, I got, I got a couple of grants. The grant sounds great. You know, you get the free money from yeah. the government to do. It's already sitting there. Yeah. So nice. So for your company, can you tell us like how it got, how it got started? What you focus on now, what your big term, like long-term plan is, is for it? Yeah. Um, so it got started because I was falling to pieces. Absolutely falling to pieces. Um, I, I have been one of those parents that trusted their daughter in the judicial system. It's not so hot. And it tore me apart. And then I needed to create something. I was scared, so scared that when she was 25, maybe she would get mad at me and tell me I didn't do everything that I could to help her. I was like, okay, well, if she's going to be mad at me when she's 18 or 25 or whatever age she's mad at me, I need to have a product that's in a place she can see. And so I wanted to create a product that could sit on the shelves at a store or be, you know, advertised online. 
right? But I needed her to see the product because I needed her to see that I tried my hardest. And so I combined my loves, technology, my girls, yoga, and found that's what kids need. And if I'm able to help her, why not help? And then it, I just kept diving into these statistics. And I'm like, well, shit, <laughs> I have to help. Like, I got to help everyone. Like, if I'm going to be on the shelf, right, for my kid, how many people do not have that parent that's there? And it just got me overthinking. Um, so kids carry stuffed animals and not everyone has access to a phone. Um, and, and therapists don't start talking to kids until they're usually six years old. And so I needed something to help give kids younger an opportunity to practice what they're doing. Um, and also you are, um, most of your neurons are connected by the time you're five. So if you go, if you've gone through something traumatic before you're five, um, it can rewire your brain, but meditation can help, um, rewire it. So your process, you can process things healthier. Um, and like, like how long should a kid meditate? Does that matter? <laughs> um, no, no. Um, you know, kids can meditate for five minutes. You know what my goal, my goal is for the toy. My goal is it, it can be like slam proof and you can throw it. Right. It's to get a kid that would throw it to not throw it. Um, so if a kid can meditate for a breath, like I said, one second can change the rest of your life. If a kid can meditate for a breath, they can change the course of their life. And why a stuffed animal versus like a doll or action figure? Hard. I mean, they need to be snuggled. I love snuggles. Mm-hmm. Kids love snuggles, right? I mean, yeah. most of us do. Some, some of us don't like snuggles, but they don't like snuggles. And, you know, <laughs> all the stuffed animal can give them snuggles. <laughs> So what's, if you could plan, what's a perfect day for you? The perfect day for me? Um, the perfect day, which is interesting. I, you know, I love, I love waking up, making pancakes with kids be the first off, right? Um, no, no, it's, I mean, I love waking up and I love snuggling with them, but I love the sunrise. Like if I could actually wake up, you know, I I think it would be traveling. I love like the islands, the not Orcas, but Lopez. I love Lopez. Um, And so, yeah, waking up, seeing the water. I need to be in the water. Okay. Um, So I guess a perfect day. Yeah. Waking up, snuggling with them. Uh, you know what? Okay. I could see that making some pancakes before sunrise. I have to be <laughs> somewhere though. Okay. I have to be in a different place. Like if I'm camping or if I'm, you know, renting like a, like a little one bedroom, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. something I need that. That's what I need okay. or, or ten, if, in a tent or whatever. Right. Um, I need to be with nature. So I need to wake up and if there's an access to like making some pancakes or making some cereal, like just enjoying our time together. Um, 
getting, going to a farmer's market, getting some food that's fresh, that's local from the area. Um, and then jumping in the water, no matter how cold it is, um, being in a sauna afterwards, taking a big bubble bath. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, reading a good fire, a big blanket, <laughs> um, pancakes, but I like my nighttime pancakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I don't want to wake up and uh, cook. Yeah. We make a lot of nighttime pancakes. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think there's this uh, protein bar, of course, American <laughs> capitalistic. Uh, I love my protein bars, my breakfast. Um, if someone's making me breakfast in bed, I will take the breakfast in bed. Okay. Yeah. If my kids bring, you know, I'm good with that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a perfect day. It's just slowing down. Nice. Nothing. So you've done a few startups. What's something like when you did, when you first started doing this, like you kind of struggled with, it was really hard for you, but now you're like, why did I struggle with that? that customer discovery. So oh. Customer discovery. Yeah. Customer discovery. Um, yes. Very, very difficult for me. Um, and because I didn't know the plan. Um, and maybe that's a little bit of narcissism in me. I hope not. I'm really working on that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just um, understanding the steps. It, that was really hard for me. Um, writing. Writing was hard. I'm a creative writer, but writing pitch, pitch was really hard for me. 30 second pitch. I couldn't come with, up with that for nothing. Um, and now I can, yeah, I can help other people bring story, their stories to life, which is really cool. And how much networking do you do? I used to do a lot. Um, now I feel like the more I spend on networking, the less time the less time I'm actually spending on building the yeah, product I'm like, talking like how about. How do people balance that right? Because obviously you need to network because, you know, meet people, put your stuff out there. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I've, like, I know people like, I mean, if you, you thought about it, you could do a networking event in Seattle every day of the week. There's always something going oh, on, right? Yeah. But then like, how do you balance like meeting people, networking versus like you say, building your product, right? Yeah. So I think in the first stage, like you got, like if you already know like kind of steps, how to build a business, right? If you're in the customer discovery, I think you have to network. You have to talk to people. You have to see it's already out there, right? Test the product, test the people. And then you hone in on the prototype. And then you go around to all the networking events and say, hey, I have this prototype. Check it out, right? Because then you're just not talking the talk. You're walking the talk, right? Um, or walking, walking the walk. <laughs> um, and so that way then you need to separate your time. And I think that's what's phenomenal actually about this day and age and even Seattle is that you can say, hey, this was great, but I'm not gonna be able to make it this time. The best advice I got from someone was said, we will always be here, do what you need to do. Yeah. And so, and that's true. And if they're not there for like two months or you missed a connection, yeah. if the next connection is supposed to be there, it will be yeah. there because especially networking in Seattle, you meet one people, you can get down the chain. And oh yeah. Do you have any go-to networking events in Seattle that you can recommend? My go-to? Yeah. Mm. The Artemis, the 
Um, so for women in business, she's part of UW. I think she's pretty, she's pretty good. Amy, honestly, it's Amy. Amy? Amy yeah. Swanson? Yes. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah. Like if you need someone she's so, or she's something. She's so personable. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, she will, she'll put you where you, she will tell you where you need to be, yeah. which is really nice. So I, li- I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's my, yeah. that's my go-to. Yeah. Amy. <laughs> yeah. She, she does some, some amazing things. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's amazing. I mean, people are doing amazing things, right? As an entrepreneur world, like you, you meet someone like you'll, you, you'll be able to what? Like, I would never thought to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting. Then you hear some stupid ideas too, don't you? I mean, like, <laughs> like, like, do you like, man, my pet, some of my pet peeves, like, do you really need another, like, food delivery app? Oh, yeah, I know. Do you really need another, you know, colored bicycle from a sidewalk <laughs> not being used, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you really need another, my biggest, do you really need another HR recruiting app, you know? There's so many oh, out there. Well, a t-shirt, you know, but we get to have fun. And if it's mm-hmm. a stepping stone and if it's a stupid idea yeah. or it's fun, it's helping them learn. Right. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think, you know, like what, like what t- problem is tech really solving, right? This, I think too many tech people solve, like, I won't say bullshit problems, but like, you know, like I said, another, you know, delivery app, you know, is tech really solving like big problems, right? Does it solve the big problems? Yeah. Jason, oh. what are the big problems to you? I mean, that's a good question. Of course, being itself first comes to mind is homelessness, homelessness. Yeah. Um, a lot of diversity stuff, um, getting to space, you know, making life better. Yeah. Is getting to space the biggest problem or is trying to figure out a way that we don't actually have to get into space, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm all about the rockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what, yeah. And then like do, v, do VCs and investors are they like, do they even want to invest in like, you know, those like, what's it called? Um, moon projects, right? They didn't want to invest in that, you know, like, cause like you invest in a moon project, you're probably going to get a return on your investment. If you invest in a delivery app, you might, where we're all getting a return on your investment. Yeah. I mean, or they just care about software. They don't care about hardware. And so if you advertise, like if you just add software to your project, mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, that's fascinating. That's phenomenal. Like, yeah. did you even do the customer discovery? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, now, can, now, I think last year it wouldn't want to be a web three company. Now everyone wants to be an AI company. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to the point. I mean, of course I use that fancy little lingo with for a way. It was an AI meditation education toy, right? <laughs> I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I mean, are we just using if then statements? Yes, we are. <laughs> we are an AI company. <laughs> of course. Oh, you get to the point. You're like, oh, well, what gets the customers super excited? I mean, that's that that angle, you know, you can get the early adapters, mm-hmm. but how do you get the the peak where majority people sit, yeah. but it's been around for a while. That's why you got a little ad, yeah. add AI to it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So what do you like? So you're, you're in a space. <sighs> I'm in a space. I'm in a water. I'm in a nature. I'm into things that scare the mm-hmm. fuck out of me. And I want to emphasize that just in case you had to take it away. So speaking of that, <laughs> you, Elon Musk has a lottery. And if you win the lottery, you're going to be in the first 
trip to Mars. Okay. You win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you say your kids are growing, right? They're like 19, 25 okay. years yeah, old. Yeah, perfect. They're of not, course you not. asked me that. Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, They're like 20 years of the future. You finally figure out how to get to Mars. Yeah. You win the lottery. Mm-hmm. You going? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. Even though it'd be gone for two years, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be gone two years anyways, because my sailing trip. Okay. Yes. So you have so, to sacrifice your sailing trip. So yeah, everyone's already known. Like mm-hmm. if they want to see me, they mm-hmm. can see, they can either hop on the boat mm-hmm. or they can fly to the country that okay. I'm going to be like docking at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm in Mars, I'm in Mars for a okay. couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, why not? So, so easy, easy to see. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, mama needs her time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else that I asked you that I didn't or anything else you want to talk about that we haven't covered yet? You asked phenomenal questions. You did really good. Thanks. Oh, yeah. That's uh, always a goal. No, I really appreciate <laughs> it. I get definitely get me, uh, can be nervous talking about things. Yeah. Um, what should I ask you? Anything you want to, I guess. I mean. How do you feel about what I'm doing? I think it's needed. I mean, I think it's definitely out the box, you know. I do think the challenge is going to be like convincing parents to do it right. Most parents are like, I don't need this. Or they're like stuck in their ways. You know, I, 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 I raise this from raising my parents this way. What's this stuff I'm going to do for my kids? You know, mm-hmm. I definitely think the thing, like I, I'm definitely intrigued by the foster kid thing. Right. Oh yeah. Cause then you take parents. Yeah. Out of it. Yeah. Definitely think that right. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, like all the questions, like, you know, how do you, how do you make it? What fabric, you know? What size, you know, all these questions I'm sure you'll, you'll think about later, you know. Those are getting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I have the size down. That's why the prototype's taking a little bit. But And then for the prototypes, you'll make it like extra special care, but perfect. But how do you like keep that same mentality, so to speak, when you start, if you're able to start mass producing, right? Like how do you still have the same level of care from the first prototype versus you're making like thousands in some, you know, factory somewhere, you know? I think you always care. You always have to. Yeah. Um. But that's why it's human centered design, because I feel like when you pursue it in that direction, then you're pursuing it in a way that you're. Well, then if your company gets really big, like how do you make sure like, you know, employee number 100 has the same passion as like employee number three, right? Like how do you determine that? Right. Like, I can't even, I can't even do that. Right. Like employee 100, is he getting hired because. He needs a job, or you know, is he getting hired because he actually believes in like you know what you're doing, right? Realistically, they're probably wanting to work there for both, right? Yeah. Um, I think I can get them to care if I care about them. Yeah. So if they want four days a week, mm-hmm. work your four days. Yeah. Because I bet you'll do a lot better job working those four days than yeah. if I had you working seven days a week. Yeah. Um. So how do I get them to care and how do I make sure that's the one bottom up? If the hundredth cares, then I still care, right? What are these tattoos? Um, so this is right here. That's my grandson. This one's supposed to symbolize focus. This is like a, what's it called? Um, a clock, you know, like you run out of time. I'm from Texas, so that's for Texas. Lubana for Texas. I'm Roman Catholic, so that's a cross for St. Peter. This is for the serotonin, a happy, <laughs> happiness thing. Yeah. I'm Sagittarius. So me and my two nieces in Dallas last December got these matching tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
this is a what's his name a Neil Tyson deGrasse that scientist has a thing where like where everything in us is like stars so this is DNA for we're on the stars another Roman Catholic thing this is the chemical for, for LSD um, there's different ones yeah come and take it from my town Gonzalez so different ones yeah Running into space, so I got a Rick and Morty tattoo here. <laughs> so you're hopping on Mars. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> nice. We can totally do that. Definitely. I have a matching uh, semicolon. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um, I like the other one. I'll have to to look that up. The we're made of yeah. we're made of stars. Yeah. yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, how many kids do you have? I have three. They're all like growing out the house, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we really ever out the house? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my kids want to think they are, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can still, still. The thing is, like, I don't care your parent, like, no matter how old your kids do or what they do, you're always like their baby. You're they're, they're your baby's right. Mm-hmm. You're always like, you know, you always need you. No more, like, but reality in their mind, I don't need you anymore. I'm on my own, right? Yeah. So, how have you, as a parent, how would I have convinced you to buy this product? Mm, that's a good question. Um, probably now you have a better chance now versus like 15 years ago. 15 years ago, like, what is this crap? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not buying this, you know. Of course, my kid said I wanted, I would buy it from right. But like, if you yeah. said meditation and stuff, like, you like meditation, that's for like quacks and like, you know, weirdos, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these you know, hippie people, right? Yeah, yeah. But now it'd be a lot easier now, me personally, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if I could, you know, if I, what, what's something that you had to stop doing when your kids were younger that you wanted to do? Mm, man, that's a good question. Um. So being in the army, I, I didn't really spend no time with them because I always like deploying, doing stuff. Like it's like in the army, people don't realize like you have to be at physical training at six thirty in the morning, which means you have to work at five. Like me, I was an officer. I was pretty much gone every day from like five a.m. to eight p.m. Right, all the time. Right, and then that's not count deployments, training, or whatever. But I really spend any time with my kids. Right, so some way to have time back with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. How was um, how was being integrated back into their life after deployment? It was difficult, I'll be honest with you, because I mean, like, like even today, like nowadays, like, like they call, they talk to the mom all the time. My daughter in Dallas calls every day. Like me, I'm just some random dude, you know, that lives there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 it was difficult, right? Because like, because when you're gone, like the, the wife of baskets used to do everything right, and so you could try to come back and play the father role, and they're looking like, what are you doing, right? You've been gone for a year, like you, we, this is how we live now, right? So it's mm-hmm. very difficult, right? And a lot of people have trouble with that. That's why we have a lot of like the mix of abuse in military. They you know like people coming back. You know, it's it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's a way to target, right? Yeah, it actually, you, actually it is. Yeah, you can come back and you get this quality time in the meditation, mm. and then you get to talk about the different times that yeah. you wanted to throw the toy, and then you didn't throw the yeah. toy together, right? Um, how much you can reduce domestic violence because. You can understand, you both are understanding and taking yeah. that second to make a different decision. Yeah. The army is doing a better job of that. It's like trying to like do that kind of stuff for back in the day. It's like, okay, whatever, you know, come be ready to do the mission. They're doing a better job right now though. Yeah. Well, they've had to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. And social media and everyone that's actually taking a stand. Yeah. So that's really good. And for your, your, um, your product is the plan. Like maybe like, I see you like maybe like do one, two minute like self-help videos, right? Like, Use it like this, use it like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I would love to be able to design or it. Or even better, have like a, a four-year-old kid do the demo. Like have your daughter do the demo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the idea is that when you are on it, like you should be able to know where it turns on. 
where it turns off and it should just be able to teach you through it. Mm. It should be super simple. Right. And so the idea is, yeah, my, both my daughters. So how are you going to, how did you decide, how are you going to decide what meditations to put in, put in there? I'm sure like, <laughs> I have an app called Insight. Like, have you heard of an app called Insight? Mm-hmm. It's like literally millions of meditation on there from millions of people almost like, so how do you decide what, what meditation to put on there? So that's where it's an infinite number amount of animals. And so I correlate it with the animals. So I can give an example um, just in case someone else wants to steal it. But if you're going to steal it and do something good with it, do your thing. More, right? more power to you, right? Yeah. Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm cool with helping you too. If you want to steal it, like I'll hop on your bandwagon. Um, but yeah, so for an example, brain spotting. Um, remember Sandy Hook, 2012? Mm-hmm. So they use this method. Was that their, their high school that you went to? No, no. So I went to Oxford and that was the high school that I went to. Okay. Um, Sandy Hook is elementary school. Okay. Um, and so, yes. So I was pregnant with my second child when, when Oxford, when Oxford happened. And was this Oxford, Mississippi? Oxford, Michigan. Oxford, Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and then I found out um, some things with my daughter just a little bit after that. And why, why are we not helping these kids? I mean, we are, but why is that not our first priority? Um, but yes, yeah, so the UI, so Sandy Hook was elementary school. So take my water bottle. So think of like a wand, right? Look at the tip of this and then you move it. So you have to have someone out of one to 10 they're, they have to be at a seven and above. Mm-hmm. So essentially they, they want to just throw the water bottle, right? So you have them spot and then where you feel the most pain is when you tell me to stop the water bottle, right? Mm-hmm. So say if this is where you feel the most pain in your body, I stop it here. My UI, so I have an axolotl that's coming out, right? So axolotl swims in water. A bubble comes by and it moves it back and forth mm-hmm. and rewires and like it just moves it back and forth and the kid will stop the bubble. Once the bubble stops, then water trickles in the background and starts um, like giving them like a serenity process, right? I can take my daughter who is screaming, stimming, having a really hard time. I get her to stop the bubble. She then gets to control. She realizes at that moment in time, she can control that in life. She can't control everything. Okay but she can control that. So that bubble stops and then she sees that water trickle mm-hmm. and that starts relaxing her. Okay. And so we're looking at, and so for an example, for Sandy Hook, they used um, this type of method um, with the elementary school kids. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to say any words. They just stop the bubble. And that's a different type of UI. So I'm testing, um, I'm testing and making sure the meditations that I'm using are specific for kids. Um, I have an unlimited box and if everyone buys all of the stuffed animals, they have access to all of the different stuffed, you know, the different, um, different types of meditations. Um, but it's just, they finding their way to be able to breathe. So as a startup entrepreneur or distant life in general, people get told no all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, let's say just storm, they get told no one time and they stop and then, but startup founders, we get told no all the time. How do you deal with a guy hearing no all the time? What's your, like your, what's your resiliency method to like keep on going despite hearing no all the time? I think two things. One is, you know, 
same. Was it Ray Nitschke? Uh, he said, if you fall down seven times, you get your ass up eight times, right? So that one, and then I would say my mom never said no to me when I was growing up. So when she said no, I listened. Um, but handling the no, people are going to say no. They say no every aspect, everywhere you go. I get told no and and things that do not make sense to me in life. I can't grasp it. It doesn't make A plus B equals C. It's not one of those scenarios. Um, and so being told no as an entrepreneur, why am I being told no? Am I being told no because it's a wrong customer discovery? I need to listen to someone. Am I being told no because I, I shouldn't do that? Like if I shouldn't do it, then maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should have a different idea. Um, so where is that coming from? Um, but I mean, I'm also the type of person that runs marathons and <laughs> <laughs> has all the Deep things in life. Yeah. Gonna go to Mars, still around the world. Yeah. So, um, Codes, you know, <laughs> so where I would like to know where that no is coming from. Mm -hmm. And if it's a real no, if it's a real no, I'll listen to you. Uh, if it's a asshole, no, fuck you. I'm going to do so it. So speaking of assholes, I think like so many people give advice, right? I think, I don't know, so a lot of it's like, I don't think any of it, I'll say 9% is actually like his good intention, right? But it's like, it's bad advice because it's like from their perspective, it's like something they've done 10 years ago. Like, how do you pick and choose all the advice you get and know which one you should follow? Which is like, I want to say like blow up, but I kind of like, you know, politely ignore. You have this life. And you get to make the choices that you have in your life. So they say the five people around you are the people that, you know, make you inform you and cause you make decisions, right? So how you make the advice? Um, I don't know. I call my mom all the time, ask her what I should do. <laughs> and she's like, uh, I'm not going to make the decision because you're going to blame me mm -hmm. if it's wrong. <laughs> um, I listen to more than one, more than two advice and I figure out what I should do. It's my decision overall, right? Yeah. So back employees, like how, how are you going to do this, right? Because like people say, if you have a startup, only hire A plus players, right? But realistically, if they're A plus power, A, a plus player, they probably have their own, own stuff they're working on or they're making six figures at Amazon or they're doing like some you know, amazing stuff themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you convince them to come for you to work for a starter, right? It's hard to do. And then like they'll say, don't hire C plus players, but if C plus players are the only people you can bring on, like what do you do, right? Yeah. Um, Bill Gates, he's like, I'd take a lazy employee over a faster employee. Yeah, they're, really, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll find yeah. a way to do it oh, more yeah. efficient, right? Yeah, exactly, right. Um, I mean, how, <laughs> how are we leaving this C, these C plus players, yeah. right? Like if we're labeling them that they're lazy, like, mm -hmm. Well, shit, you lazy. You want to work three days, but you build something in that yeah. three days that knocks it down again from yeah. like 120 hours to yeah. 12 seconds, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. I'll take that C plus player. Yeah. I definitely think you got to, got to bring on whoever you convince to come on. Right. And, and then, cause like, you know, it might be a C plus player for like, you know, John Bob, they might become an A plus player because, you know, you motivate them or they're have more passion for you. Like suppose like someone works for like a, a tax firm works someone who works for like a, a CPA as a account, right? And they're like, they, they're a C plus player because they hate the job. They come work for you because they're passionate about what you're doing. They become an A plus player, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting too, because that also, 
Are, is that their character development? Are they always going to be putting in a hundred percent in everything that they do? Right. Because if you're not, you're only putting in things a hundred percent with things that you do like, that's almost a character flaw. Right. Yeah. But it is also a lot easier to be into something if life is easier. Yeah. Right. Um, and what is important? Like yeah. if, if I talked to them and they honestly said, Hey, this job, I worked all the time. It was hard. I like playing video games. I like to play video games. I want to work for you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll give you like a good 18 hours, a, yeah. you know, a week. And it's like, thank you for your honesty. Yeah. Right. Great. I will take you over someone who's going to tell me that they're going to work every single day yeah. of the week because I promise you, you need something else more. Yeah. And we might be doing some good things. But you also need to be able to do the things you want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that's my, my overall answer. You got to trust people when you're hiring them. Yeah. But how can you trust someone yeah. when they're trying to get a job? They're lying to you in some way. They're not uh, as cool as they say. Yeah. Like the, the need process is so flawed. You're talking about you someone, the company, they'll want to put the, oh, this is the best company in the world to work for. The employee or the candidate. I'm the best person to hire. They're mm-hmm. both lying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like people say hire flow. Like, I'm, a, I'm a kind of against it. Like, I'm not saying like you know, meet someone and hire them, but like, only way you know if someone's gonna work for you well is like you bring them on, right? Yeah. Because you might be the perfect candidate, but get to work and like they have some annoying habit, right? Like, you know, like maybe they just do that all day long. Like, dude, stop doing that. You drive me batshit crazy. You know, like <laughs> maybe you need a little bit of meditation, and that's yeah. if that's irritating you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I get it though, right? Uh, this guy next to me when I worked, he clipped his nails. I'm like, why are we, if we're staring had, at computers, I, I had a guy like go that. Go clip your nails at home. I had a guy like that. My first post army job, this dude clipped his nails every day. And it was so fucking loud. It just drove me batshit crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like, why are we all back into office? That's one thing nails. people don't talk about remote work. They talk about the high productivity. The thing you need to talk about is remote work is like, you don't have to be around all these annoying people all the time, right? Seriously. The people are annoying. Well, and you don't have to have like, I, I have an obscene amount of confidence. Like I love myself, right? And I love other people, but like I get super nervous about even like my weird mannerisms mm. around people. Yeah. Right? Like I, and it takes me away from then concentrating at work. Like yeah. it could, even your nose, like, like I have allergies. I'm yeah. always sniffling on yeah. my nose, right? So I don't want to irritate someone because- or, you know, think I'm sick when I just, I got allergies 24 yeah. seven, you know? So I'm like, you know, all the time. And yeah. we never hear people talking about the probably more work not to be around annoying people or, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, or. <laughs> yeah. Are they also the same ones that are annoying when you do work remotely too, though? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think I'm the annoying one when I work remotely because I just, I'm an extrovert and I mm-hmm. want human connection. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hi, I'm going to ask you a thousand questions <laughs> so I get to feel like I'm with humanity right now. <laughs> yeah. So being an expert, how do you do, how do you deal with that during COVID? I had my daughter. Yeah. And I had class mm-hmm. every day. Okay. Um, and at that point in time, I had a really good, a good friend that I talked to on the phone all the time. But it was hard. I think it almost made me an introvert. Yeah. Not fully. Um, it's really hard. Yeah, so like COVID, like I'm an introvert, right? I'm, I'm like an actual INFJ. That's one percent of the world. So I'm an You're introvert. You're INFJ, okay. I'm an introvert, introvert. But even me, I was like, damn, I need to talk to somebody besides my wife and kids, right? 
Well, even now, I was like, okay, this is yeah. this is ridiculous, right? I don't understand the lockdown, but man, I gotta I gotta go talk to someone else. So there's, uh, it came out, and I was like, um, talk to your intro extrovert friends. Um, we're not doing okay. So, and four months later, it came out being like, talk to your introvert friends. They're not doing okay. Yeah, we were coming for smart out, and I'm extrovert friends like they'll complain. I had no interaction. I was like, now you know how I feel. And when I go to like events, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but like six months later, everyone is like, wow, we need human connection. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do think the process made me even more socially awkward than I am. So now when I do talk to people, you know, I, you know, we had a whole like two years. How did we learn how to approach people or talk to them? Yeah. Um, and you forget how to, and yeah, my daughter, she likes this kindergartner at school. Right. And she's like, I just stared at him. Uh-huh. She goes, and she's like, she's so excited. Right. She's like, I stared at him. And I was like, did he stare back? And she's like, no. <laughs> but I stared at him. That's I'm like, funny. this is how socially awkward we yeah. have become. <laughs> like, One thing about COVID, I do miss all the like the Zoom antics, right? Although like remember, remember that time that Laura was on TV or like had a Zoom call with like four Laura's and a judge. The one lower, I had a cat that had a cat screen on him. He's like, you know, I'm oh, not, a, I'm not a cat. <laughs> oh my god, I do remember that. That was far away. Oh my goodness, Judge, you know, I'm not a cat. I know that you're not a cat. There's a filter, was, you know. <laughs> but like, I couldn't get the filter no, off. No. That was the number one memory for me from COVID. Like that right guy. That that was so viral. Like, the your honor, I'm not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> the number one. Oh, I I miss it though. I do because I felt like we were craving human connection mm-hmm. so much that we were being intentional with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's something special. Right. And you didn't say no, like you could say no. Mm-hmm. Like I, I saved a lot of money during COVID because yeah. there weren't events and stuff yeah. to go to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're not like eating at Lumen field. No. Paying no. $35 for a $3 meal. Uh, yeah yeah so i mean you get those events right but in the pluses and minuses yeah um last again anything else you want to talk about any questions i didn't ask you no i think that was that was nice nice thanks thanks that's always my goal (laughs) so can you give us your social media so people can reach out to you so yes yeah my social media you can it's verwave um, check out Verwave on Instagram and then the email me at verwave.com. Okay. And then um, can you give us any advice on anything you want to talk about? I will. I'll say the quote again. And, I'm, and I'll have tears in my eyes. 97% of kids that report abuse and only 4% are believed believe the child that tells you that they're being abused believe them and listen to them and be there for them thanks for that kate kate thanks for your time today i really appreciate it thank you and to our listeners thank you for your time as well remember to be great every day thank you for listening to this episode of the jason kavnis experience be sure to connect with us across social media at kavnis hr thank you and remember to be great every day You've got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up, you've got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up, you've got to pump it up, don't you know?